Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The basketball season is back, and BetOnline remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season. Head to the new, updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is a Stripe Hype Friday. It's been a while since we've had a Stripe Hype Friday. We've had Stripe Hype Wednesdays and Stripe Hype Thursdays, but it has been a minute since we have had a proper Stripe Hype Friday, which, for those who are new to the podcast, is where the initial inclination of a Stripe Hype X day came into place because... For 18 months here, going back through an archive of 500-plus episodes, we have had our buddy Blake Jude on basically every single week, except for those three weeks where his power got knocked out during that crazy winter storm in the Midwest. But other than those three weeks, Blake Jude has been a weekly guest here on the pod, and we love him so much here, and he keeps coming back for great content. So, proper Stripe Hype Friday coming at you in a minute But first, I would like to take you a little bit behind the scenes on the creation of the Take It Easy podcast, because we recorded our podcast on Thursday with Walter and Joe Camo, which was an excellent podcast. You should check that out, or at least download it. It all counts the same. But we recorded that Wednesday morning, and then we recorded the Stripe Hype pod Wednesday afternoon, which means we are recording this block of the podcast on Thursday for a podcast that'll be released on Friday, which all comes together to say we have not gotten to properly talk about the Deshaun Watson situation going on in Miami. And every time we discuss the Deshaun Watson situation going all the way back to April, and since the the legal matter is still going on in the court right now, and there's a criminal investigation still ongoing with Deshaun Watson, we're going to follow our guidelines that we have around this, which is we're going to break the story into three separate parts. We have the human element, the legal element, and the football element to this story. And once again, we're going to put the football element off to the side, even though the entire reason that we're talking about this story is because of the report by John McClain in the Houston Chronicle that the Houston Texans are shopping Deshaun Watson and may have a deal in place by next week prior to the November 2nd trade deadline with the Miami Dolphins. 
or potentially the Eagles and Panthers, which have also been reported in the aftermath by, I believe, Albert Breer, if I remember correctly. They've at least contacted the Texans about a trade, but it looks like Miami has the best trade package available. And again, football is going to go off to the side because the idea that we are discussing Deshaun Watson in any kind of football sense is immoral and despicable because the legal matter has not resolved itself. And this is a hugely personal moral issue here. Deshaun Watson is accused of sexually harassing or sexually assaulting 23 women in the state of Texas. And Deshaun Watson has basically been put on paid leave, even though he hasn't been put on paid leave, because the NFL has not moved to put him on the exempt list, a move that two months ago, right before the start of the season, I was appalled by the idea that they didn't find anything in that investigation that would warrant putting him on the exempt list when Ezekiel Elliott went on the exempt list for a case of domestic violence that may or may not have been actually what was reported, and Ezekiel Elliott got a five-game suspension over that. And Deshaun Watson is only not playing right now because the Texans have decided they're going to absorb the financial implications and not play Deshaun Watson. In essence, punting on this season, while, yes, their intentions may not be as pure because they're also trying to trade him and playing him could risk injury and devaluing him, the Texans have decided to do the NFL's bidding and not force them into a pressure situation where they have to put Deshaun Watson on the exempt list or risk him playing and creating a financial backlash for the NFL. And we just had this conversation yesterday with Joe Camo and Walter about ethics and morals of the NFL and whether or not the corporation should be in the morals game. But even still, there needs to be some level of accountability. Deshaun Watson should be facing some sort of accountability. And with the information and context that we have, we want to try and find some sort of moral ground where Deshaun Watson could be allowed to repent or face some sort of punishment. And people will point to canceling at a certain point, but this is the problem that we have with society right now is institutions are failing around Deshaun Watson at this point. And to be fair, Deshaun Watson technically is not facing any criminal charges. There's only a criminal investigation at this point. But we just, so let's talk about accountability in terms of systems. And I heard a great point yesterday around this topic. Shout out to Chris Whittingham on the Lebetard Show. We want someone else to take the decision out of our hands many a times in these situations. We want moral authority to be taken out of our hands quite often. We're looking for somebody to take the decision out of our hands, and then we can look at the, the rules that have been created around us and analyze them. Now, there are leaders in certain cases who maybe don't think this way, and leaders feel at least more comfortable making the major decisions. But even still, we would the, the majority of society, I'd say 90 plus percent of society, want to operate within the rules that have been created around us. This is just a human nature element. We operate within the world that we are given. And I talk about this all the time. I didn't make the rules. I just work around them. We are given the rules of society and then we work to try and improve around that. So when we put systems of accountability in place for actions that we've deemed heinous, especially in the aftermath of the Me Too movement, and the fact that we recognize 
crimes against women were not taken seriously across generations and decades before. And so from this point forward, we would think that we understand the situation slightly better. And so going forward, we'd be better at creating some measure of accountability, whether it's creating a mandatory HR department within uh, businesses or whether it's the legal accountability of making it, making it so that people can be per, uh, prosecuted for sexual assault and sexual harassment and giving women the power and men, but more specifically women, the power to come forward when they've been sexually harassed and sexually assaulted and making this a more normalized thing. These are hopefully things that we've taken away from the Me Too movement, which according to, again, I'm, I don't remember the study exactly, but it was the most pressing issue in America from about 2018 to 2020 was violence against women and harassment of women in professional settings and personal settings. This was the most talked about, most cared about issue in America, especially in the aftermath of the Trump presidency. And so with Deshaun Watson, this story is going to the legal system. This is the legal institution that we want to create an accountability measure. Criminal court has not deemed Deshaun Watson to be in such a place. I don't know the details of the criminal assault yet and not going to pretend like I do. So perhaps Deshaun Watson does not meet the bar for criminal sexual assault in the state of Texas, which is a high bar to hit, by the way. I do know that. And that brings us to the civil suit. And we've talked before about the difficulty of civil suits in this context because Deshaun Watson paying money doesn't feel like that much of a punishment, but it is some form of accountability. It's not about what the money will do for people in a lot of cases. It's what the money represents for the women who are trying to pursue it. It just per- it, It's deeming that this is a valid situation and there's some form of accountability. And it's really hard to morally judge whether money can satisfy potential trauma or emotions or really complicated things I'm not going to pretend like I understand. It's very hard to go through that process. And when both of those systems don't produce a level of accountability, then we turn to ourselves and look at moral authorities. And one of the cases that came up recently was the case of Bill Cosby. Well, while Bill Cosby was prosecuted and was facing jail time, he got out on a technicality that really felt like it was a slap in the face to the accusers of Bill Cosby, the Me Too movement as a whole, and the idea that power and money can override the legal system in America, which is a very real statement. It's been real since the inception of America, and it still exists today, that you can buy your way out of prison and you can buy your way out of legal accountability and the, and the loss of rights if you have enough money to do so. And this is, you know, classic O.J. Simpson case of money and power. Uh, and, you know, when you want to talk about Big Pharma and how they bribed off judges and uh, Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers and conversations like that, we can go down, you know, dozens and dozens of examples of how money and power buys you out of the legal system in America. So when there's no accountability in the legal system for Bill Cosby, at the very least, we want some level of accountability. And what is left at that point is on the individuals of society to now become, unfortunately, moral arbiters. And this is really difficult because in a lot of situations, we don't know how to evaluate these things. 
And in other cases, people will just ignore the fact that this is happening or ignore the fact that legal systems are in jeopardy. And it's really hard to evaluate these things. When institutions fail, we try to operate within the disorder the same way we try and operate within order, except it's just an untenable situation. So our responses are to fight or flight, which is kind of rare in this case, or freeze. You can deny that it is happening or you can try and fight for some measure of accountability if you believe that there is something morally and ethically wrong in this situation, given that you have morals and ethics. Because again, everyone has different bars for what they deem moral and ethical. They're, it's really hard to be moral arbiters for anyone other than ourselves. And so in the case of Bill Cosby, at the very least, you would want to think at least he's not going to make money anymore. It's the same thing with people like Louis C.K. and Kevin Spacey. And people in positions where they are selling themselves to the consumer, which is in essence what Deshaun Watson and professional athletes are doing as well. They are selling themselves to consumers as a product of their organizations, and their organizations pay them for such services, etc., etc. In those cases, the level of accountability is at least we can prevent you from making money. Or we can prevent you from doing this thing that you enjoy for a certain period of time. And it's really hard because there is no correct answer on moral authority in this situation. We can only operate within the contexts that we were given. I don't think any of us know what an appropriate punishment for Deshaun Watson is. And we're looking to the legal system to dictate this. And the fact that this has gone on as long as it has was surprising to me because I would have assumed Deshaun Watson would have settled and then gone on to make more money throughout the NFL season because he's potentially putting away $40 million, but he didn't end up getting suspended. So he's still collecting his money anyways. And so this is a really interesting situation where Deshaun Watson is still making his money and is fighting to clear his name in court. And maybe the criminal investigation is preventing a settlement of sorts. I just thought Deshaun Watson would settle at this point. And so now I'm trying to operate within the context of what is an appropriate punishment for Deshaun Watson. Because at this point, I don't think six weeks of paid leave for 23 cases of sexual harassment and potentially 10 cases of sexual assault is worth six games of paid leave given that Ezekiel Elliott in one case that may or may not have been as as the way that we had thought it was. It felt like the NFL wanted to make an example out of Ezekiel Elliott got a five-game suspension. And so this is a really difficult bar to figure out and now we have to be the pressure on the corporation whose scale on morality is going to slide based on the context of the situation. And that is why we should not be talking about the football side of Deshaun Watson at all. Because this is a huge moral and ethical conundrum. And it's a legal matter as well that's still ongoing and really hasn't developed much in the last two months. And so it's important to bring this conversation back into focus when discussing the Deshaun Watson situation. There needs to be some measure of accountability because if there is not, and Deshaun Watson gets traded to the Dolphins and theoretically could play next week, 
then it is essentially saying that this behavior is accepted. Because where is the measure of accountability? Anywhere. Other than just six weeks of paid leave. It's, again, it's despicable that he's not on the exempt list in the first place, and eventually Deshaun Watson will probably receive some form of a suspension. I think the problem around it is that institutions above the authority and power of Deshaun Watson's employer, who is employed by a corporation, being the NFL, are not not, not working as fast as we'd like to, and we demand some measure of accountability from the NFL. Because if the legal system doesn't serve justice, which, again, we can talk about innocent until proven guilty, but when it becomes a case of he said, she 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 said, all the way down 23 she saids, it's hard to deem that nothing happened and therefore there should be no measure of accountability. And so there is already a distrust in the legal system, not just for the idea that it's a powerful person going through the legal system. People without power get screwed by the legal system for better or for worse. Some people get off better. Some people get off worse because it's a flawed institution in America. And so because there's a lack of trust there, we now look to some sort of moral authority to put accountability on Deshaun Watson. We just have to keep waiting this one out. And it's difficult because the corporation is going to keep going on and people are going to compromise their morals left and right. But maybe we should all be demanding better of the NFL in this context. And in regards to a punishment, given the context we're at now, it seems like at the bare minimum, again, I'm not a moral authority on any of this stuff, and it's really complicated and really difficult, and I'm just working within the context. But given where we're at right now, it seems like one year of paid leave is not a strong enough punishment. Maybe a year of paid leave and an 18-game suspension, or I guess 17 games, maybe a year of paid leave and an 8-game suspension, maybe two years of paid leave. Like, it's really difficult to figure out where it is. If I argue, for example, one year of paid leave and an 8-game suspension, and someone wants to argue that it should be a stronger punishment, especially someone who doesn't have male privilege in this situation... I think that's a totally fair argument, too, because there is no right answer in this situation. It feels like there are wrong answers, but again, everyone has different moral standings, and we probably shouldn't listen or be guided by the people who have the lesser moral standings, like the NFL, unless we want to believe in the institutions with more power than the NFL to hold a level of accountability, which at this point we do not, which puts us in a compromising position of having to look to the NFL to give us some measure of accountability. So all of that is to say the Deshaun Watson story of this week and potentially in the coming days by the time we come back to the podcast that he might be traded is all a measure to say football, go to the side, stay over there because it's despicable that this conversation is going on and personally offends my morals, my moral standings on this issue because of the bravery that it took for those women to come forward and the fact that they are receiving the persecution at the hands of public pressure and people who want to believe in the good and power and propaganda 
of the NFL being the organization that they love and dedicate a significant portion of their emotional stability to. And that's just an unfortunate situation that we find ourselves in. And the fact that we aren't holding enough accountability towards Deshaun Watson, especially in the aftermath of the Me Too movement, disappoints my sensibilities and looks despicable, which is just, it's another form of anger. It's a blend of anger and disappointment in between that there is not some measure of accountability around this situation, not from the people who are reporting it or even from the people who are doing their job, because I don't know if put in the same situation that I wouldn't do the same thing if that's the job that I've been hired to do. If I've been paid a significant amount of money to compromise my morals, I don't know if I wouldn't make the same decision in the same circumstance. If I'm trading my mo- if I'm selling out my morals, then maybe I don't I make the same decision in the same context. So it's not necessarily anger at that. It's just anger at institutions as a whole and the fact that we have to be moral arbiters and it fractures our society and gets megaphoned by conversations like Twitter and Instagram where you get access to people who have very different moral standings than you. And sometimes that can be offensive and a slap in the face to your own morals and things that you believe are right and conscious. But it's unfortunately the world that we've been drawn into. And I wish that there could be some stronger measure of accountability towards Deshaun Watson so that we wouldn't be talking about the NFL and the football side of Deshaun Watson. So when given the opportunity, this is a great time to again discuss the legal and moral implications of Deshaun Watson because until he settles in court, we should not be discussing the football element to this, no matter how long that process may be drawn out. Now, let's shift away from Deshaun Watson and bring in the football stuff from just football in general, because it is NFL Week 7, it is a Stripe Hype Friday, and we are going to roll our way into this wonderful weekend with a great conversation with our great friend Blake Jude, who has a podcast that you should check out as well called the Stripe Hype All Day Podcast. That is a hard way to transition, but I've gotten very good at transitions here across the last few years. So let's roll along with the Stripe Hype Friday. I might forget, so I want to start recording. Have you found yourself just being like a crazy person trying to follow all these sports right now? Like, I I forgot how crazy it gets. And last year was weird because we had the pandemic also. So like every sport was restarting at the same time. But I kind of forgot how crazy it is trying to follow all this stuff and do podcasts and also, you know, do all the other stuff you have to do in life. Like, I forgot how chaotic October is. Yeah, uh, you know, over time, I've kind of made football more of a priority, at least to me, it's kind of been my thing. But I'm still a very, very close follower of, of basketball and baseball, both in the NBA college ranks and the MLB, of course. So it's it's been tough. I've been I find myself normally like yesterday I watched Warriors Lakers, of course, I want to almost watch the entirety of that game. Uh, I watched, um, of course, the uh, the Red Sox Astros that's going on uh, right now. I've been watching the uh, you know, the Braves, Dodgers, all those games going on. Um, it's been, it's been fun, but at the same time, like, it's like, geez. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I like, was, I was so upset that, uh, we, the game was one, nothing. Chris sale was, or, or Framber Valdez was basically throwing a no hitter. And then like 
right before we started recording, the Astros dropped like five runs on the Red Sox. And now the game's a blowout that we could have watched the end of live on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks like the Astros don't blow out that one, but it seems like we're going to have a, a pretty fun, uh, exciting ending to both these series though. So I can't complain too much. I'm excited to see how both of those turn out and ends up making the world series, but I, I've been, I've been, you know, still paying like extra close attention to football. I, I almost, you know, I, I did, I did before, but now I find myself like even more so or le- more or less. So, uh, you know, watching almost every single game I could possibly find that's available to me in recording. So well, if I just yeah, see that you're, you're deep into two footballs, cause you got the NFL and college football that you're really deep into. Like I've noticed over the past couple of years that college football takes less of a relevance than it was last year. I think I was just out for the most part, except for like, you know, when, Alabama plays against I don't know who was the top team last year Georgia like or Florida like when that happens I guess I got in but I was kind of out last year this year I've jumped back in definitely more but I I I can go a Saturday missing college football and still be okay in that way like you're going all the way with both footballs this year yeah uh and it's it's a little it's a little tough um you know, I, I definitely have tried to split them up more. Uh, so then last year, I think last year definitely leaned more towards college football just because of how miserable the Bengals season was that year. And it was just kind of like, you know, I still had interest and I still watched games, but I wasn't as invested uh, actually as I was before. But now now that the Bengals are actually pretty solid, of course, my, my Wildcats are solid. I, you know, whenever my teams do well, I find myself so much more passionate about the sport and wanting to actually like do a lot more, you know. So I end up watching a lot of these other games. Like I've been watching so much Georgia football lately. I, you would think I'm a Georgia fan with how much I've been watching them. Uh, <laughs> I've watched every single Ohio State and Cincinnati game uh, this year so far. I've, I've watched just a lot of a lot of teams that are just intrigued. I'm intrigued by right now, and I, I just want to watch. And it's been really really fun. I've watched a lot of um, you know Matt Coral and Ole Miss. I've been watching some Kenneth Walker in Michigan State. Uh, just all these guys, it's, it's been a blast to uh, go around and, and watch these guys. I was well as going through with all these NFL teams. I've been, you know, of course, keeping my eye on the Ravens, watching the Chiefs do end up, you know, having the weird season that they're having right now. It's been a lot of fun to try to keep up with all this, but, uh, you know, it's certainly hard. I, I would be lying if I said I haven't missed any games. Yeah, I definitely have. So hopefully I can go back and catch some. Um, I'm, you know, still not where I want to be right now. Uh, scouting wise, I still need to get a little bit further ahead there, but uh, we'll have to see how it all works out in the end. Hopefully I can start picking up on it more and start grinding it out. We've all missed games at a certain point. This is, this is a shame that shouldn't be a shame. We're all crazy people just for some reason, spending our entire Sundays watching football. In your case, you went to a couple of those Bengals games in there. I know one of them was on Thursday, but even still, you picked a you picked a good week to skip the witching hour uh, to go watch the Packers Bengals game too. But uh, I can say with certainty, I went to sleep at halftime of the Bills Chiefs game. I, I went to bed in overtime of the Steelers Seahawks game. Like I I have bailed on those late Sunday night games, which is not late for me. It's like eight thirty on the West Coast, but I have bailed on both of those so far in the last couple of weeks because. I guess the, the first one, I was just like, it's not worth it. I'm just tired. And then the second one, I'm just like, no, it's Geno Smith and Ben Roethlisberger. Neither of those teams are probably going to make the playoffs unless the Steelers have the weird thing where they're, you know, the AFC kind of beats each other up and they sneak in at nine and eight. But other than that, none of those teams are going to make the playoffs. So I can just skip it. It's fine. <laughs> 
See, one thing I've been super invested in this year, more than more, a lot more so than usual, has been my fantasy leagues. Like I've been actually like taking those very seriously. I'm in a money league now and everything like that. Uh, so I, I've been like super invested on in my leagues when it comes to all that stuff, and that's really kept me in these games. Uh, like Bills, uh, Bills, uh, Titans, for example. I kept up with it entirely. I had Cole Beasley on my roster, and so I was hoping that he would score enough points. I ended up getting that because he ended up having a great game. And then I had the Bills defense, which ended up losing me another league. Um, because of how well they, how poorly they perform, but those like those teams just keep me, keep me intrigued and involved. And you know, before before so, like I always played fantasy, but I never actually took it seriously. Like I I line up every week, I just see how many points they scored. I'd be done with it now. But now I actually find myself like watching those players play and actually like rooting for them because I want to, I want, I want to win this uh, this year. I have a money league. If I win, I'll make two hundred dollars. So. I'm really, really hoping I can win that league, and I'm currently six and zero right now. So let's hope for the best there. We'll see, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to uh, try to keep up with all this because again, it's it's this is the biggest time of the year um, sports wise, and I can't help but get excited because not only do we have all the sports we have right now, we still have college basketball coming soon. We have the NBA just starting up. Um, you know, even for people that like hockey, you got hockey going on right now. It's 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 everywhere, and it's it's a lot of fun there's always something on TV right now and you can't really ask for any better than that. Cause someone who gets bored very often going through and watching a game, even though it might be some nobodies, it's still a lot of fun to me. I have two rules about fantasy football. One, nobody likes when you talk about your own fantasy team, people only care about their own fantasy football team. And two fantasy football is only fun when your team is good. And like you this year, I have a first place team myself. I'm sitting at five and one. And the only game I lost is because my opponent scored the most points anyone has scored in the entire league all season. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good year to be in fantasy. After back-to-back seventh place finishes, I am rolling in first place this year, led by, of course, Derrick Henry, who has more yards after contact than any other running back in the NFL has rushing yards because, of course, Derrick Henry does. Um, and James Robinson and your boy, Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson and, uh, Mike Williams. Yeah. It's going great this year. It's a solid roster. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 my, my team is just stupid stacked this year. I won't go into depth about it, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I broke I my I own rule. No one cares about my fantasy team except myself. <laughs> I, I don't want to bore anyone, but I'll, I'll, I'll say real quick that I have Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler. And Kareem Hunt. So that should tell you all you need to know about this year's fantasy team. This is a 10-man league, money league. Uh, everyone takes it very seriously and stuff. And it's dynasty as well. So uh, very, very happy with, with the roster I have there. Uh, really running back heavy. But yeah, it's, it's been that a lot of fun. That is just the most cursed injury lineup I've heard of. Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. That team is destined for decimating injuries. <laughs> It is, but I'm also I'm also six and zero right now, and I can't complain too much. I got Damian Harris on my bench. I got Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, uh, Lamar Jackson. So I got I got guys on my roster that have been helping me out a lot too. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I can't complain too much. Hopefully Saquon's coming back this week. I know uh, he's got Kareem Hunt on the IR. Nick Chubb should be returning eventually. Um, yeah, you got to yeah, add it, Dearness Johnson because. Uh, (laughs) Thursday night football gets like the game of the year for some reason next week because the Packers play at the Cardinals on Thursday night football. But then this week it was supposed to be another one of these good ones because they always Fox always puts the best Thursday night games in like October and November because that's when most people are going to be watching Thursday night football. And so 
they put the best games in the middle and then put terrible games on the edges that they only put on NFL Network or whatever. Um, they thought this was going to be good. And then they got Teddy Bridgewater versus Case Keenum for their Thursday night game. And they were like, ah, damn, that is that <laughs> we, we were banking on Browns and Broncos to be fun. And now we have Dearness Johnson running four yards a carry. It's, it's going to be rough for the Browns. I mean, have you, have you seen their injury report right now? It is unreal how injured they are. And it, it really gives you, I think that kind of puts into perspective right now, you know, the, the Browns even when their roster has been fully healthy are still three and three. Like this AFC North is wide open or AFC North and AFC in general, I, I meant to say um, it is wide open. There's no really dominant team, maybe other than the Ravens uh, right now in general. Ooh. I mean, the bills. Yeah. I was going to say the bills mafia is going to be pissed at you. I mean, <laughs> just look what happened on, on Sunday. I mean, or uh, Monday, excuse me. I mean, they got, they got pretty much dismantled by Derrick Henry and the Titans on defense. And we, that was a, that was a team that we originally thought had the best defense in football. So I, I bet that's obviously now, or, or for the most part, it's been kind of debunked, I guess, in a way, or, or proven that it's not the well, case. So I don't know. The, but, isn't that the first time that they've really been cooked this year? I know they were playing terrible offenses. Like they played Jacoby Brissett and I don't even know, like Taylor Heineke or something. I don't know. I know they've been playing terrible teams, but isn't this kind of the first time that they've been picked apart like that? Yes, but at the same time, I think that you know, with a team with a team like the Bills, I almost want to say you don't expect them to ever be picked apart like that. You, you kind of go into this thinking like you can keep it, you know. Just I mean, this is a Titans team that really hasn't done too much in general this year. I, I get they've dealt with injuries, but they are still very, very unproven as a team. Uh, haven't really seen a lot of Julio Jones, who was hurt in that game, by the way. I uh, haven't seen a lot of A.J. Brown yet. Nine Tannehill hasn't been very good. Other than Derrick Henry, it's been a pretty back-and-forth season for the Titans. And so, you you know, you went into this thinking, like, hey, the Titans could score points, but you certainly expect the Bills to still pull us out. And, I mean, they had an interception in two, or two, but it, they really didn't have any way of stopping the Bills at all. And that's, I think, what kind of made this the difference in that game overall. Um, that and also Josh Allen fumbling certainly didn't help or not fumbling, uh, missing a fourth down conversion in the end zone. I, I would assume that didn't help at all either. But um, the point still stands. I think that, you know, it, it, it kind of showed to me that the Bills are, are certainly beatable right now. And, and you know, the Ravens did lose, uh, of course, a couple um, or months back, but uh, or a couple weeks back. But I, I think they're still certainly a team that, you know, is that Raiders game a fluke? We don't know. It might have been. It might have not been. I just think now that we now that we see the Ravens are obviously the hottest team in football, I would say right now it's hard for me to put the Bills in the same category at the moment. Now, I, I they certainly could be. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overreacting, but I, and I still certainly think that they can be argue, arguably a top five team right now. But I do worry about you know is, is this just an, a defense that's really had an easy schedule right now offensively, uh, or is it a team that maybe is just had a really bad game? I don't know yet. We'll have to see. So the thing that I found interesting with the Titans, just real quick, just to get all the Titans jokes out of the way, because I've been sitting on Titans jokes for years and it's a good time to bring them out. When AJ Brown and Julio Jones are not injured, apparently this is my favorite story from the week was that AJ Brown got food poisoning from Chipotle, according to AJ Brown, which is just a, a wonderful story that AJ Brown is throwing out here. He played in the game. I think he had a touchdown, but even still, that's just a fantastic story. Um, someone's going to win that division by default. Titans are going to be the four seed. It sucks because it might steal a playoff spot from the Bengals. 
which if you ask me, would I rather see the Titans or the Bengals in the playoffs? I'd take the Bengals like nine times out of 10. Um, but even so the Titans are just going to be kind of mediocre. It feels like no one in the AFC is in that unbeatable tier. Like the chiefs have been there for a while and we obviously associate the Patriots with that, but isn't this kind of more normal where we have like, because I would still say the chiefs are the favorites in the AFC, but I, they're not as unbeatable as they were last year. Like going to the playoffs, I said like 75% sure they're going to win the, the AFC this year. I'd say like 35% sure the chiefs are going to win the AFC, but even still like Baltimore and Buffalo are pretty close behind them. Like they, it feels like there are four teams that can win the conference right now. And it's, any one of them can beat the other one on any given day that the four being just for context, chiefs, Ravens, bills, and the chargers. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I said it earlier and I'll say it again. I think this is the most wide open we've seen the AFCB in general in a long time. Like, I mean, we've seen people talk about it all the time on radio and everything like that. Like who's going to win the AFC. I think it's a big conversation and, you know, it kind of felt like last year it was almost the exact opposite. It was come on almost like there's a lot of good NFC teams, but it was relatively wide open while the AFC still had their dominant forces of like the chiefs, the Browns, the Ravens, you know, guys like that. I think this year now it's really, really hard to tell who's at the top and who's at the bottom because all these teams are beating each other. You know, we have the Ravens beating the, uh, you know, the, excuse me, the Raiders beating the Ravens, the Ravens destroying the Chargers, the Chargers beating the Chiefs, you know, you know, it's all over the place. And we really don't know what games have been flukes and what games where they're obviously a difference in talent wise. Um, I, I will say the Ravens, the Ravens beating the Chargers as bad as they did really opened my eyes big time because I thought the Chargers were very legit after beating the Chiefs. Um, the Chargers looked at the better team that week when they beat the Chiefs. And, you know, it was a completely different story against the Ravens. They had no chance. And that's why I kind of I kind of said right now that the, the Ravens might be the most dominant team currently in the AFC. Uh, I can certainly see the Bills having a, a good say in that as well. Um, I think they do have a very good defense. I do think they do have some talent on the board that they can certainly, uh, you know, challenge the, the Ravens against. But uh, it, it's, it's so tough because if you ask me right now, Lamar Jackson might be the favorite for MVP yet again this season. He's finally starting to put both things together, uh, really. And, I mean, he, he did that last year, two years ago, when everyone MVP as well, being able to run the ball at an effectively high rate. But this is the best we've seen him pass ever uh, in the NFL as well. He's been an elite passer. Um, both Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown are on track to have over 1,200 yards on the season. So two two fantastic receivers he's been able to get the ball to. Uh, I think both of them have scored four-plus touchdowns as well. Uh, you know, it, it's it's been unreal to see the Ravens have their passing pack pretty much just taken away. Yeah, are still managing to blow out teams like the Chargers and go 5-1. and one. It is astounding to see how well uh, they have been able to rebuild and fix this team despite having 15 or 14, excuse me, 14 guys on the IR, which is unreal. Uh, it could be actually more than that, I believe. It might be. It might be 16, actually. I think it might be 16 guys in the IR now, which is, I mean, just unreal to imagine a team has that many guys that are still sitting here at five and one. And I think a big part of that is just Lamar Jackson is insanely legit. And we're starting to see guys like Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown. And I would even say, you know, you're, you're, you'll probably see it here soon, but the rise of Rashad Bateman as well. I just think there's a lot of guys that are about to break out here and it's really, really helping out the Ravens. And that, that really excites me, especially if they're able to get some of these guys who are on the IR back healthy. Yeah, I forgot to mention, I also have Hollywood Brown on my fantasy team this year. Uh, not not a subtle, not to flex too much, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice little guy I've got in the second flex spot. But uh, if, if I had to pin you down right now and you're saying this team is going to win the AFC, 
you're going to give it to Baltimore. If you're if you're putting Baltimore head to head against either of those teams, you think Baltimore can win, or are you just going to call it a toss up? Because I would say, eh, flip a coin to decide who's going to win the AFC at this point. And yeah. to the point you're talking about with, um, this is just a side note to that because you can answer the question there. But just in terms of parity in the AFC, the AFC is the conference that's never had parity. It's the conference where the Patriots made nine straight conference championships. Like this is the conference that's been dominated by like four teams for 20 years. And then the NFC is the conference where 12 franchises have made the Super Bowl in 15 years. And of that, we also have two completely different 49ers teams. So this is the this is a weird turning point in the AFC where it still feels like there's only three or four good teams. Like the Chargers are if I'll put the Chargers in the group of four, but the Chargers are definitely fourth place. I think most people agree the Chargers are in fourth place. I'm just saying they can win against the Chiefs or Bills or Ravens any given week. So back to what I was saying before that, you would take the Ravens overall right now. I think the Ravens are the hottest team in the league. Let me be clear on that. And that's why I said right now they're probably the most dominant team in AFC. Now, at the season end of the day, I would say yes. I think right now the Ravens are the hottest team. I think that they would beat all these other teams, uh, at least in my eyes. I think the Chargers game really convinced me on that. It seemed like the Chargers were the better team than Chiefs. So if the Ravens continue to play the way they were, I think they would beat the Chiefs. I think the Ravens matchup-wise have a better matchup against the Cleveland Browns, especially considering all the injuries they have. Uh, and I think right now the Buffalo Bills just showed that, you know, despite them having – uh, you know, a pretty good defensive roster. I think that they are certainly capable of getting beat deep, and that really worries me for a Ravens team that are now suddenly trying to find, uh, you know, uh, the, the way uh, the, the way of getting the ball deep to Marquise Brown and guys like that. And Lamar Jackson is always going to get his his rushing yards. And I think one thing um, the the Bills have kind of struggled on a little bit now that we've kind of seen is being able to stop the run and Derrick Henry and guys like that uh, who absolutely dismantled them last week. So. I just think right now, matchup-wise, Ravens are looking to be the best team currently. But a lot happens in this season. I definitely think the Chiefs are going to bounce back. Uh, and so if you ask me, uh, I'm not going to count out the Chiefs one bit. Um, and we, we also don't know, maybe if the Browns come back and start to get hot again, maybe they have a shot as well. So I, I can certainly see a lot of scenarios happening. So, I mean, I, I would say if, if, you, if we're assuming it's at the end of the season, I'm going to say still it's a toss-up because I still want to see these teams get back healthy or – uh, fix the problems that they currently have. I think they certainly think some of these problems they're having are co- coachable. But the season where it ended today, Ravens are the best team right now in the AFC, I think. And it's going to be really, really tough to see the Bengals play them at Baltimore this week. One of the things I feel like we did last year was in the middle of the year, we kind of just started ignoring the Baltimore Ravens because the Ravens didn't play any nationally televised games from like, I think it was like week four to week 11 or something like that. And I think that's about to happen with the Buffalo Bills because I'm looking at their schedule. They play Dolphins, Jags, Jets, Colts, Saints, Patriots, which is a primetime game, and then the Buffalo, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it feels like we're going to ignore the Bills for like six weeks. They're probably going to win a bunch of games and no one's going to give them like due credit or whatever because we're just not going to be watching them on TV very much or they'll be like on the back analogs of the Red Zone channel blowing out some poor team or maybe they'll play a close one against the Jets and maybe we'll get like we won't pay that much attention to the Bills. But we talked about the Bills defense and their ability to get burned deep like I didn't feel like coming into the season the bills were an elite defense and i still don't think they're an elite defense even though they're ranked number one in dvoa right now it's just 
I didn't see that unit as that coming into the season. I think the reason they're there is just because they beat up on some bad offenses and there's just not a large enough sample size yet. Certainly a possibility. I, I think <clears throat> if you ask me, I think in order for me to believe the Bills are good enough to win a Super Bowl, I think they probably had to have a top defense in the league. They had to have a dominant defense because I think we're starting to see, you know, Josh Allen's a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. Certainly top five right now. I think he's great. I think his offense is still really good. But is the offense high-powered and good enough to win you games against these important teams like the Titans alone? I don't think so. And I think it kind of proved that, uh, of course, this Monday night. Uh, and I think um, in order for me to, you know, I think in order for them to be able to actually do that, I think you have to see Josh Allen turn into MVP Josh Allen, which I think is close, but not, not yet there. And so until then, I think that, you know, you really have to watch this defense and see how well this defense can perform to maybe help not carry the Bills in a way, but – you know, I guess in a way, uh, kind of balance out the, the roster enough to where it's, you know, you're able to keep games close both offensively and defensively. I think there's a balance that the Bills might need to have in order to be good enough because think about it. They don't have the Chiefs offense. They don't have the Bill, the Ravens offense, excuse me. They don't even have, I would say, to a certain extent, the, the Browns offense when it comes to the rushing game, of course. I, I think that there are certain places they just don't have as good of a roster offensively in, so they need to have a better defense in order to stay in these games. And at the beginning of the season, they certainly did. They were the best offense in the, in the league. Uh, I would say currently still according to DVOA, I guess, still the best offense in the league. But Let's I'm just see. not – I'm just not yet if, – if they're unable to keep that, if they continue to struggle after this week and show that they're not able to consistently stop teams, I do worry about how well this team can do because I think offensively, I don't know how well they can match up against some of these other teams. Yeah, it was surprising. I just looked it up. The Bills are 12th in offensive DVOA in the league right now, which is interesting because they were near the top. I don't think they were ever number one, but Josh Allen this year has, I mean, he's gotten slightly worse than he was last year, but even still, like it's just, it's what we expected. Like we didn't think Josh Allen was going to be exactly what he was last year. <laughs> like that seemed nearly impossible to replicate when he had a near MVP season, considering that, he was a super inaccurate quarterback back when he was first coming into the league. And this year, so just for updating people, so Josh Allen had a 69% completion percentage last year. He had a 58% completion percentage the year before. And we joked like, unless Josh Allen's going to make 10 percentage points increases in his completion percentage, I don't think he's got it. Which led me to say that last year, I thought the Bills would go 6-10 and 10 and replace Josh Allen with Dak Prescott. Um, that did not age well at all, but this year he's gone from 69% to 65%. Uh, it's a longer season and he's on pace to have about 200 less passing yards than he had last year. Uh, slightly fewer touchdowns, not too many. It's only, uh, oh, he would have more touchdowns. He would have 40 touchdowns this year and he would have eight interceptions but he would be throwing more incomplete passes than he was in years past. So I guess you're right that they do need a top defense. I just thought that they could get by even with the offense the way they did last year. Cause last year's defense was like ranked 17th in the league or something like that. So I don't know if, I mean, again, like we're going to ignore Buffalo. They're going to beat up on some bad teams in the coming weeks here, but I just, I think they can do it even with, you know, the, the offense they've put forth right now, I think they can still be good enough. I know they lost to the Titans, but that was kind of one of those toss up games. That's just unfortunate that you get the loss and might be the reason they have to play a wild card game in 
January instead of getting the first round by, like, I don't think it deters from what the team is just because they lost that game to the Titans. Well, let me be clear. I, I said in order for them to be all, you know, Super Bowl contenders in, in my yeah. eyes, which is, you know, like they're, they're of course still going to win this division. I think it's fairly obvious at this point. They're so far ahead already, and they are obviously better than all the other teams. Oh, hold in the on. Division. Deshaun Watson's coming to save the Miami Dolphins, except he's not going to play for two years because he might be going to jail, but also they're going to put him on the exempt list. But Dolphins, one in five, we're going to make the comeback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I stay with what I said. I, I don't see the. You know, anyone, anyone get passing the Bills. And I think the Bills can certainly win at least a round, maybe even two rounds, make it to the AFC Divisional Championship uh, or, excuse me, Conference Championship. But, you know, I, I, when I think of the Bills, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I thought of them last year. I expect the Bills to take a step up this year. And I think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people expected this to be the Bills. I guess, um, you know, this is, this is, everyone expected the Bills to have their best season this year. Uh, and I think in order for me to be able to see a step up, I needed to see one or two things. I wanted to, I, I needed to see. MVP Josh Allen, which hasn't happened, or an elite level defense, which at this point we thought we thought could happen and did look, look like they could happen. But obviously in this Titans game, it showed that there are still some holes and I think there's still some concerns overall. No sacks given up uh, by the Titans in that game versus the Bills. Taylor Luan, even though he was literally stretched off the field, their backup left tackle came in, performed really, really good. Um, the biggest issue last year on the Bills defense was their defensive line. They thought they had it solved. No, I mean, I believe they had like six, seven pressures, but despite that, no sacks at all. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill had all the time in the world to make passes, and he obviously did, um, you know, absolutely destroying the secondary at the end of the day. So I, I really thought that we kind of learned that this, this I guess, supposed top, you know, the top Bills defense, I think is not, not a fraud by any means, but it still, you know, has some work to be done before we can ever see it become what I think it needs to be in order for them to be Super Bowl contenders. And that's why I kind of said what I said. I think that I needed to see one of those two things happen. Obviously, Josh Allen MVP is kind of taking not a step back, but hasn't looked as great as he was last season. Uh, while the the Bills defense, I think, is better, but still has holes, and I still don't think it's going to be enough for them to push him to the next level. The numbers do suggest that he has taken a slight step back. Now, I'm I'm going to argue small sample size all the way with that one because yeah. it has been six games, but uh, his sure. QBR is down five points. His completion percentage is down four points. He's going to throw more touchdowns on pace right now, but. I think that also takes into, again, small sample size. I think he had like five touchdowns against the Texans or something like that. So it's still Dak Prescott numbers. Like MVP of the league usually is in like the 115 range in QBR and he's sitting at 103. So like that makes him a top 10 quarterback in QBR right now. It just, it's about, it makes Josh Allen a tier two quarterback. It, it makes him, you know, just not Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, which there's no shame in not being Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. You're still a really good quarterback at that, but you're right. Yeah. He has regressed a bit this year it, and maybe he'll turn it around, but we're getting close to the point where we can see the sample size and be like, maybe this is a more accurate representation of Josh Allen than what 2020 was. Yeah, and I don't want to, like, let me be clear. I, I love the Bills team. I watch a lot of their games. They're actually probably my second favorite team in the league. Uh, if I'm being honest, I, I watch a lot of their – I think a lot of Bengals fans are secondary Bills fans, obviously, from the relationships that they had <laughs> due to helping the, the Ravens make the Super Bowl and uh, Ravens uh, – I'm helping the Bills make, this, make the playoffs over the Ravens uh, in 2016. So I kind of kept a, a warm space in my heart for, for Bills, and especially Bills fans, uh, for what they did and helped in charity with the Bengals. But uh, – you know, I, 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 I'm cheering for the Bills and everything like that. I just I need to see more right now before I can put them 
you know, you said Josh Allen is a tier two quarterback. I would agree. I think because of that, the Bills are kind of a tier two team right now. And that's why it kind of worries me. I'm looking at tier one teams. I think of, um, you know, right now, the Arizona Cardinals, I think, are one of the hottest teams in, in football, obviously, and look really, really good. I think the Buccaneers are still out there. I think the Ravens are up there right now. Do I think the, as well as the Rams, I think the Rams are also a part of that list as well. And I think Ooh, the Bills what are about right the now. Packers? Do the Packers get in there? Oh, that's tough. Um, yeah, I, I do. I do think the Packers are in there right now. Probably those would be my top five teams I just listed. Uh, yeah, Rams, Cardinals, Buccaneers, Ravens, Packers. I think my top five teams. I think the Bills are right on the outskirts uh, of that six, maybe seven, right now on my list. And and I need to see. I need to see the defense take a step back or take a step up. Hopefully, hopefully fix the issues if they did make it against the Titans. Uh, because keep in mind, this Titans team, despite you know they didn't have Julio or AJ Brown, but that same exact defense got destroyed by the Zach Wilson and the Jets. Keep that in mind. They lost to the Jets. Uh, I, I I'm not nearly as bought in as on the CC Titans as a lot of other teams are, regardless of how well AJ Brown and Julio Jones no, are. No, uh, we don't back. have to just, pretend with the Titans. Let's not pretend the Titans are a good team. Let's do, let's fully acknowledge the Titans are only going to make the playoffs because that division is absolute dog shit. Like let's not exactly. pretend the Titans are good. <laughs> yeah. So in, in my eyes, it's a it's a bad loss for the Bills. It's a it's a loss that shouldn't have happened and. And I, I need to see them bounce back. It's going to be it's going to be easy for them because they're going to have five pretty much five handed wins in a row. Maybe Pages can give them a challenge, but I don't know. Um, I, I think that you know we're going to see them be ten and two, and you're going to talk, you're going to have people talk about them as being a top tier one team. But I, I, I after seeing this game, I just I don't know yet, and I need to see more. I need to see more from this defense. I need to see more. I, either from this defense or from Josh Allen, one of the two. I think that they, they can afford to not have one as long as they have the other because they just need one elite part of their team. They need, either need to have elite offense or an elite defense, and I just don't see either one being elite so far, and that's what worries me. I noticed that in your uh, elite and second-tier list, you didn't mention the Kansas City Chiefs, and so as I go to cradle my Patrick Mahomes jersey in my arms right now, uh, has have you started to feel panic about the Chiefs? Because when when Mahomes threw the one interception where he kind of just lofted it over his head, um, which came after the one that went through Tyreek Hill's hands and Meikle Hardman fumbling, and I was like, God, Tyreek, how could you let him down? God, Meikle, this team is so bad. And then the third one happened. I'm like, oh, I got nothing for that one. That's just Mahomes. <laughs> That's just on Mahomes. Um, so has the Chief, have you started to feel a little nervous about the Kansas City Chiefs then? No, not really. I honestly like, I mean, like I'm talking about like power rankings like right now. Uh, and obviously the chiefs, I think don't deserve a tier one. They're probably in tier two for me. Um, you know, they, they look solid against Washington, but I, I just think there's still an identity. The chiefs need to find on defense. Let's be real. The chiefs have one of, if not the worst defense right now in the NFL and it needs to be fixed. The pass rush has been absolutely terrible. Frank Clark has been, just completely just gone. Like, I don't know where he went. He's just not there anymore, pretty much. Um, he, after all these offseason issues, he just – I don't even know if he's playing right now. I just literally had not heard his name called once in any Chiefs game. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm just looking at this entire roster right now, and I just don't see – I just don't see a, a guy that can be an important leader or difference maker on this Chiefs defense. And I think that I need to see them do that in order for me to be able to be confident that they can be a good enough team. Do I think they can do that? Yes, I think they can. And I think even if they don't, I think Patrick Mahomes has not ha- has not reached his best so far this year. I think he can t- definitely reach that eventually. Uh, and if they are, they're going to start winning a lot more games. But, um, you know, I-, I do think there are certain worries about 
the Chiefs as a, as a whole. But I, I certainly think, you know, at the end of this, at the end of the season, they're going to be 12 and five, maybe 13 and four. And we're talking about them right in the thick of things and, and in playoff talks as well. So it's not that, not too stressed out about that. I'm amazed Patrick Mahomes still has never played a wild card game in his entire career. <laughs> this is, this is going to be the year that he plays one because they're just, they, they can't win enough games to get the one seed even at this point. But I'm still amazed that he has never played in a wild card game in four years now, but it, it's fine. Kansas City's going to be okay. It's really impressive. I mean, he, it, if there's anyone that ever has doubt in Patrick Mahomes, there, there's so many stats just back up how elite of a quarterback he is. And I don't think people need to really worry about him being in, in any danger of regressing in any way. Cause it's, it's, he's that good. He's still that good regardless of all these problems the defense is having right now. So I, I don't think that there's any reason to worry. I really think they should go out and sign Whitney Merciless if they can, or, or, or find some player in free agency. I think Whitney Merciless just signed with the Packers this afternoon. Never mind then. So uh, I might have been a little late on that, but I, yeah, I definitely think they're, they, they need to go out and find someone to sign right now uh, on this defense. I think it's certainly possible. There's guys out there, uh, but they, they need to find a better identity. They need to have guys step up and they just haven't had that yet. So until they do, um, you know, there, there are some question marks on the team about the team, but I think give them some time and they should figure it out. I love the ide- ideology of Chiefs fans where they're just like, we're going to get Chris Jones back and every single problem we have is going to be fixed. I like that mindset of denial at this point that the Chiefs don't have like the worst defense in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it is certainly a question mark, but I'm not too stressed about you know them like still being a fraud or anything like that. I think it's still a fine team. So yeah. I, I'm... Uh, they're not they're not Super Bowl caliber right now, and if you're a Chiefs fan, I would worry about that in, in a certain degree. But I definitely think that you know they're they're the Chiefs, and I'm I'm still I'm just never going to bet against the Chiefs ever in my life. It's just never going to happen. You're just never going to find do that. Is it over for the Seattle Seahawks? <laughs> Don't need to have the same answer as the Falcons. Yes, no. Yes, um, <laughs> that was that was my favorite moment last week. We're like, is Matt Ryan done? Yeah, yeah. That's see, is. Yeah. is it over for the Seahawks? Yeah, um, this year, yes. I don't. I think they're pretty clearly the fourth team. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this morning, maybe the 49ers. It's debatable, but I, I think right now the Rams and the Cardinals are certainly a step higher, and I don't see them doing anything to kind of separate themselves from that group, uh, the Seahawks, at least. Yeah, it, it feels like this is pretty much the uh, – this is, this is the end of the road for them. I, any this, of those wild card teams. Hmm? Sorry, I, I was just going to say, not only do they have to worry about the NFC West, but they also have to worry about a lot of these other wild card teams that look really, really good right now. So I, I definitely think that they, they just don't have – they don't have enough yet. And now, you know, Smith is in, you know, that's going to add to the loss. This is going to make it even harder for Russell Wilson to come back. And even with Russell Wilson, I wasn't really impressed that much with the team. So I do, I do think this year it's probably over given next year. However, I could see them coming back and being better, but as far as right now, I don't think they're a playoff team. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I said at the beginning, someone's going to have to lose 10 games in that division. And now we know it's going to be the Seahawks just because, Russell Wilson got hurt for the first time in his career. And I still can't believe that Russell Wilson, I can't believe I've lived long enough now in my life to see Russell Wilson become an old guy. It's, it's so strange that this is where we're getting to at this point is that Russell Wilson has now Russell Wilson's the old guard who is, you know, somehow going to get retired by Tom Brady in a couple of years, but even still 
Like he, he has aged out of the sport even, I mean, he's still really good. Like he's exiting his prime now, but Russell Wilson was the wonder kid with the Legion of boom. And now he's slowly aging out of the sport a little bit with the Seahawks and getting weird fluke injuries that kind of happened to drew Brees towards the end of his career. And I know it's rough to make the drew Brees Russell Wilson comparisons because literally everyone's been doing it for years now, but it's it's hard to not see the parallels between how this is going to go down for Russell Wilson at the very end. Yeah, um, I, uh, it's sad to see too because they this is DK Metcalf has been a, a big time weapon for them, and I really like I really like what they have overall as a team. Uh, and it, it sucks to see that this has happened to Russell Wilson because I think if he was in his prime, this is not a Super Bowl team right now. Um, you know, like take take this Seattle Seahawks offense, give them the Legion of Boom, and give them Prime Russell Wilson. This is the best team in the league. I know that's saying a lot, but you know they, they were always they were always <laughs> give them the best short. defense we've ever seen, and this is the best team in the NFL. <laughs> right, but but let me say they were always a step short offensively, weapons wise, and everything like that for such a long time for Russell Wilson. Now they have finally got to the point where they want to be offensively. Now you're starting to see Russell Wilson decline. That's that's I guess that's why I was trying to get to the mm-hmm. to get to uh, as a point, but. I think it's a shame to see that because, you know, Russell Wilson is such a good quarterback. And you can tell how much he just loves the Seahawks and loves the sport. He's out there doing coin flips while he was injured uh, for the Seahawks. I just – I can't but respect that guy as a leader uh, and as a person. He's just such a good guy. And I really – like, I always find myself rooting for Russell Wilson no matter what it is because I just, I just respect the guy so much as a football player and as a person in general. So it sucks to see that he's getting to this point because I agree with you. I remember Russell Wilson's days of being 27, 28 years old and they're like, this guy's absolutely insane. Like, I don't see the Seahawks ever not making the playoffs with Russell Wilson as quarterback. And now you're you're looking at him, his career slowly start to, you know, veer off a little bit. And, you know, you know, maybe there's a chance that he ends up having an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady type career and still is dominant in his 40s. But I, I always thought in the back of my mind, you know, Russell Wilson being a guy that uses his legs as often as he does, never really had a great offensive line. Uh, is dominant as a pocket passer, but has never really relied on just being a pure pocket passer. I did worry about how long he can, can sustain that success. And I think now, after this injury, you're probably going to see him take a step back uh, talent-wise. And that, that just sucks to see, but at the same time, it happens to everyone, and it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's over over for Russell Wilson. I just meant in the context of like the team itself, like the Seahawks, they've invested a lot in this current iteration of the team. The team last year and the team from two years ago that uh, lost to the Packers in the conference championship and then investing in Jamal Adams and trading for Gabe Jackson. They, they put a lot into these versions of the teams and the NFL churns up the team so quickly, like parody in the NFL is legislated so well that when you fall like the Seahawks do, it feels like it's going to be a while for them to get back to that point. Maybe it'll be next year and they make the playoffs again, but I mean, the Cardinals really good Rams going to be really good for the next couple of years. And that just kind of leaves everything in limbo there where, you know, similarly to what happened with Aaron Rodgers in the end with Mike McCarthy, like by the time you get to 35 or six, you have some seven win seasons in there. And all of a sudden, you know, things don't look as glamorous and they're drafting Jordan love. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly true, but you know, I think it had, they not had these injuries, you know, all the, all these, all these assets that they traded for and worked towards could have certainly worked out better. I just think injuries happened to a lot of teams and it was, 
you know, it's only a matter of time before one has to deal with a big time injury, and it sucks to see that all happen and, and and play out. But it is part of the part of the game. I think this year it was the Seahawks and at least the NFC West that kind of got that bug. Last year, of course, it was the 49ers who just could not stay healthy at all. And I think now you're looking at the Seahawks kind of taking that that uh, tough role this year. And you know, I I think entering this season, I think I had them second in the division. I think I had um, the Rams first, Seahawks second, really closing. It was like 13 and three and 12 and four or excuse me, 13 and four and 12 and five. So it, it kind of sucks to see that the Seattle Seahawks might not be that same team, but, you know, let me just say, I, I think even, even with, without Russell Wilson, they still look like a solid team. I think Pittsburgh Steelers are no slouches despite them having a lot of question marks with big Ben right now. And to see Geno Smith go out there and take him to overtime and, you know, had he not fumbled that ball, they'd probably win that game. I, I think it's huge. Uh, and shows a lot about how, how much heart Seahawks team still has it. I can still see them winning, you know, nine games this year, possibly. I'm not going to count out that, but uh, I definitely think, you know, they, they compared to the rest of the NFC West, probably the best division in football right now. It's just, it, they, they definitely aren't the same. And it sucks to say that. Yeah. If you, uh, if you look at the Seahawks, uh, relative to the NFC, nine wins might be good enough this year. Cause after it's the same thing as the AFC, after the top four teams, you look around and you're like, that is not very good. <laughs> after the, after the, Rams and Cardinals and Packers and Bucks. You're like, oh, good Lord, that's not... I mean, the Cowboys, too. I'll throw the Cowboys in there for now. But the Cowboys feel like a bit of a fluke at this point. But even still, you look at all those teams, you're like, wow, after that, not a lot there. It's Panthers, it's Vikings, it's 49ers. None of those teams look really good. So maybe maybe nine wins does sneak Seattle into another meaningless wildcard game. Who knows? Certainly a possibility. Uh, you know, they might. Uh, they might make a lot of wild cards, surprisingly, but it's tough, I think, because, you know, there, there's teams out there like the Vikings who are going to have much easier schedules this year and are going to have chances to, uh, you know, get a couple of wins and maybe 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 they'll sneak out 10 wins. Uh, I think, you know, the Washington football team, though they have a lot of question marks right now with Taylor Heineke, has such an easy division with the Eagles and the Giants. They can certainly pull out a couple of extra wins and get to nine, 10 wins as well. Um, you know, it, it, it is tough. I think that, you know, that, that middle pack right now is, is so plentiful, you know, the 49ers as well. I think they are certainly a solid team that has to be uh, watched out for. Um, so I think I, I, there's just so many teams out there that I, I think could be, uh, can be also contending for that. It's just going to be tough for the Seahawks to, to kind of, especially with Geno Smith right now at quarterback, it's hard for them to kind of, I guess, uh, go out there and, and separate themselves from that pack. Do you think the Bears are a bad team? Yes, I don't think. I, I think it seems like a lot of their wins aren't, I don't want to say earned, but it, it, fluky in a way. Like, I, I think, you know, had Joe Burrow not thrown three straight interceptions or three straight passes, the Bengals probably win that game. And despite losing by 21, they almost came back and still won that game. Um, you know, a, a lot of their wins just don't feel great. And even then, you know, they, they have not really shown to be any elite level team right now. So, I mean, the Bengals are certainly solid, but, and that's probably the biggest, most quality win so far, but how good are the Bengals? We still don't really know. It's still yeah, the other two wins are the Lions and the Raiders. Right. And, you know, the Raiders are still another team, maybe maybe on the same tier as the Bengals, but still have a lot of question marks as well. So I definitely think that there's an argument to be made that, hey, maybe maybe this is you know, a team that's just been managed to squeak by right now. And, and until they're able to actually play against some 
tough divisional opponents like the Vikings, like the Packers, then I think we can possibly see some some turn of events. And, you know, we saw them play the Packers. They obviously didn't look good. That's a big change. Uh, I think that says a lot right now about their team. Uh, and, you know, I just – I do worry about the state of Justin Fields uh, and, and just how well the Packers are able to perform as a team as a whole. Uh, I just think that they are still not – good enough yet and is this the end of Mac Nagy who knows possibly uh but we'll have to see yeah the the Nagy thing is weird right now because I did a whole rant this week about how if you're the Giants the window is open just start fumigating the place the Bears problem is that they're winning just enough games to maybe keep Nagy around even though the offense isn't very good um and at this point, maybe they need a fumigation. Who knows that the drafting of Justin Fields threw everything into a funk because now we don't know what to do with the Bears at this point. We're like, well, I guess they're developing a young quarterback at this point. But are those, do you want to bring in someone who coaches the young quarterback better than Matt Nagy? So I don't I don't even know what to do with the Bears at this point. I would have fired Matt Nagy after last year. But at this point, I don't know what you do if you're Chicago, because everything they've done for the past seven months is totally contrary to what most NFL organizations do. And I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. Feels like despite having a backup quarterback, they're almost the exact same team as they were last year. They're just somehow winning games and we really don't know how and they're going to either end up just missing the playoffs or making the playoffs and getting blown out in the first game of the, of the wild card. So, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, they're just in a really, really awkward state. And I don't know, you know, Justin Fields is certainly a rookie quarterback that I, I was very, very high on. And I think he can definitely uh, lead in the better, better, you know, better I guess, uh, victories in, in places down the line. But as of right now, I just, I, I think that, as a whole, the Bears as a team have not really looked any different at all this year. And if the, the goal was to – if it's for Mac Nagy to absolutely make the playoffs this year and at least win a playoff game, I don't think he's going to meet that. Oh, I think it's no. probably what's going to end up being the downfall. You know, <laughs> No chance. No chance they can win a playoff. Yeah, I mean, if we're going through teams – like we mentioned the five teams at the top. So one of those five teams isn't going to win a playoff game this year. So then after that, you look down you're like, okay, you got the Vikings, you got the Panthers – you got the 49ers. You could maybe argue the Seahawks even next. You got the Saints. Like the Bears are way down there in terms of talent in the NFC at this point. They're like in the 11 12 range, but also they play a favorable schedule. So they just might sneak into the playoffs, which I don't think they're going yeah. to. Like just for, off the bat, I think they're only going to win like seven games this year because that offense is now bad and injured. So that's a terrible combination. But at the very least, they, they're not going to get a high draft pick out of it. They do get the giant or no, they traded their pick. They don't get their draft pick this year. So whoops, <laughs> not a super desirable job other than the hope of Justin Fields. Well, I think we you know we, we did a, we did a podcast where we went over the bears season and what our predictions were. And I believe I had them at eight, and nine, and I mm -hmm. still really like that pick of me having them at eight, and nine. I think they're, they're just right there. It's exactly how I kind of saw them being. And I think that they, really haven't proved otherwise right I think there's still the same Bears team as before and I'm um, I think that's almost expect, expected of the Bears like you know I, until they prove us wrong I don't think they're ever going to bet against them going 8-9 in a season but I, I think there, there's certainly some star talent on that team but there's also plenty of holes as well and that kind of what just they, they have the exact recipe to be a I would say average to below average team right now. And that's just how I see them in general. I don't see them moving from that until 
they have an unreal offseason. And they're gonna, of course, they're going to lose A-Rob this season. So this might be the season where they have the cap to go out and sign up some big names. But I need to see them get some more superstar players, get some guys. You know, Cleo Mack's getting older. So how long is he going to continue to be a dominant force? We don't know. Um, you know, they have a lot of offensive line that are super old, like Jason Peters. How good are they going to still be after the season? I don't know. They're going to lose a lot of guys next season. They're going to have a lot of cap space to work with. I want to see them kind of reset this team in a way around Justin Fields. And hopefully they have a new coaching staff have a new identity they're not a super desirable job right like if i'm looking around the board i'm like okay what would be the best coaching job that comes open at this point because i'm trying to think who are the coaches who are in line to get fired at this point because of the bad teams a lot of them have new coaches so i don't know if they would fire someone i think fangio's in line for that the giants the broncos the, Bear, the Dolphins one is weird. Dolphins one, I don't understand. Because I don't think firing Flores accomplishes anything. Like, you don't have a draft pick next year. You, you, It's not a super desirable situation to enter. So I that one I look up, I'm like, I don't know what firing him accomplishes at this point when I don't think you're going to be able to find another Brian Flores in the next coaching search. Not that, like, Brian Flores is special, but I don't think they're going to be able to find another one in the coaching hiring ranks. So other than that, what that and the Texans are the last Raiders. Yeah. Raiders, bears, Broncos, giants, Texans. Like it's not maybe Jacksonville, urban Meyer. Like there's not a ton of super desirable openings. I don't think. Yeah, I agree. And I think I want to see, I, I honestly, though, I would argue that out of those out of those groups, I, w- I would probably say the Bears might be one of the most desirable, honestly. So, I mean, it's just not a very impressive group of guys uh, right now, as a, you know, as a whole uh, mm-hmm. on this uh, on this squad uh, of, of teams right now, on, uh, at least uh, at least in my eyes. So, you know, maybe the Bears are one of the more desirable. I think having a, you know, such a young quarterback is a very very good bonus to have if you're a team, uh, and I think that's why I think a big I could definitely see a uh, a team, a, a good coach like maybe Brian Dayball. I'd say like, "Hey, I want to try Justin Fields out because he's a very similar quarterback to Josh Allen. Let's see if I can work with him, make him the new, new Josh Allen." You know, I could see that being a case, but um, I, I definitely think there are some question marks uh, the Bears still have that are definitely going to be worrisome, and also the fact that they have never really had a winning franchise in the last several years as well. I think certainly a a big problem that I, I need to look out for uh, and pay attention to. Oh, it's been longer than several years. It has been a long time since the Chicago Bears were any good. Uh, they did make the one NFC championship, but uh, you know how I, I list the thing. Uh, the, the, my one, I think my favorite stat right now is the one that 12 different franchises have won the NFC in the last 15 years. And also that includes two completely different 49ers teams. Uh, the very end of that spectrum is the bears. The bears are the very beginning of that counter of, yeah, you made a super bowl, but you've kind of been just as irrelevant as the teams who haven't made a super bowl in that time frame. which by the way, can you name the four teams that haven't made a super bowl in the NFC in the last 15 years? I got this. I got this. I got this. Yeah. All right. So I got, I got to think through it with my head. Give me a minute. All right. So, uh, Washington. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Give me a minute. It's going to take some time. Hold on. I got to, I got to eliminate all the teams in my head right now. Yeah. I think you're uh, going to get this one. I think you're going to get four for four, but let's see. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
It's, it's just been in the Super Bowl, right? That's, yeah, just played in the Super Bowl yeah. in the last 15 years. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, oh, okay, hold on. I, I'm trying to think of all the divisions. Okay, so I'm just going to go through it in my head. It's not the Cowboys. Actually, it is the Cowboys. Cowboys are one as well. Yep, Cowboys. Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay, I know the Eagles did. Or I, I, the Giants did. Um, the Let's see. We're, we'll go to okay, the Saints did. The... Buccaneers obviously did. The Panthers did. The Falcons did. Um, the Rams did. The 49ers. I don't think the 49ers did. Hold on. Let me, I got to go through all the teams, make sure I know which ones are, are, are which. So uh, the Cardinals definitely did. The. Um, okay. So that's all the NFC teams except the, the, the 49ers right now. Uh, and then the. Uh, Packers did. Okay, the Bears didn't, obviously. Um, the Vikings didn't either. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, that's the teams, right? Is that all? Uh, who was the other? I, I heard Washington, Washington, Washington Dallas. Dallas, Chicago, Minnesota. Oh, no, Chicago does count for this one. They're the cutoff line of Super Bowl 41 against the gotcha. Colts. They're the cutoff point, so the, they do count. Okay, okay, my fault. Uh, okay, so then it would be, in that case, it, it would be... Um, Obviously, a 49ers made the Super Bowl. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Uh, the Lions. Okay. Yep. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. Detroit, Washington, Dallas, Minnesota. Those are your teams that have not made a Super Bowl in the last 15 years from the NFC. And you could argue Dallas and Minnesota have been the two most consistently solid teams in the NFC in a long time. So you, think, you definitely thought they would have been one of those teams, too. Oh, yeah. Minnesota's just gotten unlucky. Minnesota had... Bounty Gate game 2009. They went to overtime in the conference championship, and then they lost to um, they lost to the Eagles with Case Keenum. Like they've I mean, the, they've the, been the, close. The big Saints PI as well. The obvious PI that the or sorry, no, that's, I'm completely wrong. Sorry, they had the Minneapolis Miracle, and then they lost the next game uh, against uh, what was that? That was the Eagles one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Eagles. So they had the big. Uh, I remember that season very well with Casey Keenum and everything like that. That was such a great game against the, the Saints. Um, that was the season before the uh, big issue with the PI of the Saints and everything like that. But yeah, uh, yeah they lost the Eagles right after that, and that was that was shocking. Uh, I definitely thought after that Minnesota kind of felt like the hottest, hottest team in the league. And I think I chosen to win that that week too. So yeah, secondary yeah, fun fact. Secondary fun fact around that: only two teams have played in more than two conference championships since 2006 only two franchises have played in more than two conference championship games which is kind of weird yeah that it is unreal how balanced the nfc has been i think we're, we're finally going to see unless unless the cowboys shock everyone to make it uh i think we're finally going to see some more uh of the top teams like you know like tampa bay maybe arizona maybe la start to make it more consistently I, I, at least i think because uh, they, they finally I think are starting to build some dynasties, uh, you know, in the NFC. While the AFC looks to be the opposite, I think this is going to be the most wide open we'll see the AFC in a long time. I'm really hoping for the Cowboys because I've been using this stat for two years. I used to say 11 of the last 14, and then the Bucks did it last year, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 12 of 15 now because the Bucks hadn't made the Super Bowl before then. So I'm just I'm hoping that maybe the Cowboys I think the Cowboys are my only hope this year because Washington Detroit Minnesota are not good so Dallas is my only hope to keep the streak alive 
is if they can miraculously make the Super Bowl. Yeah, that would be that would be insane. But Dak has looked really good. He's been a very, very good quarterback. And I have heard so much Dak Prescott over this offseason worried about how good he's going to be after all these injuries and everything like that. Uh, and to see him, I guess, kind of shut everyone up and be like, hey, I'm still the same Dak Prescott. I, I'm, I'm really happy about that. And, I mean, this, this Dallas team just looks – I mean, they're just winning games. I mean, they're they're not – they haven't been blowing out any teams by any means, but they are, they're winning games. And that's all you can really ask for right now. They're, they're just doing the bare minimum. Trayvon Diggs has allowed the most yards in the league. He's also had seven interceptions. That's just keeping them in games. So love that stat Dallas. going around. It's amazing. Cause we literally did the Trayvon Diggs podcast last week. Like, what do we think of Trayvon Diggs? And then he literally has the pick six to seal the game. And then the touchdown pass to blow the game on back-to-back plays. And we're like, that is just the most Trayvon Diggs thing we could have thought of. And then, yeah, I, we did the podcast before everyone else was doing the Trayvon Diggs podcast. Yeah, we're always in front. <laughs> That's good, but uh, it was. Uh, it, I still have the same exact opinion on Trayvon Diggs. I think I said that he is at the same time the most overrated and underrated quarter cornerback in the league right now, and it's just really funny to see how that works. Like, you either have a guy who just absolutely thinks Trayvon Diggs is a terrible corner, or you have someone saying that he's defensive player of the year. Like, it's never in between. It's kind of funny. Which is amazing. Like for all the investment we put into football, like generally speaking, there are people who are really smart, but generally speaking, we're not very good at doing the football evaluation stuff. Like it's, it's hard to to know exactly what it is that we're seeing the way that, you know, like analysts and scouts can see it, which obviously I'm an analyst, you're a scout, but it's so hard to look at that even for someone who's just a casual fan, like it's with basketball, it's easier to understand and baseball the same way. It's really hard to know who's actually good and who's not in football. Yeah, it, it is tough. I mean, like outside of like the superstars, it, it's always back worth, you know, you know, sometimes a player has a really good season. Sometimes they struggle, but I, I think one thing that I, I am able to kind of pinpoint as a scout is like, what players are capable of having those seasons. And Diggs was a guy that I, I kind of circle world as like a boomer bust kind of corner because of how aggressive he was. He was in the draft, a very, very aggressive corner. I said this in the podcast as well. Uh, and he was going to have games where he was going to give up a lot of points. He was going to have games where he had two interceptions, and had dominant performance. It was just, it was just Diggs was a boomer bust player in general. And yeah. I, I said that. And I think there are some corners. I look at guys like Patrick Sertain who have just been, been a big time uh guy that's forced interceptions and everything like that but he plays zones so well he's just a very very smart corner and he's going to play his coverages in zones and he's going to do it really well and I, I really I think that's kind of the difference between him and and guys like Diggs it's just the fact that they're just they, they play the game so differently at this they play the same position uh and I think it's really cool and that's what I kind of see when I saw Diggs, it's just he's the, he's the exact guy I saw in college a lot of times we see a lot of these players change and look a lot different uh, Diggs is the exact same guy and it's worked for the Cowboys so far. So I can't blame him for doing that, for letting him stay the same. Who's another player like that who you're, what you saw in college ends up replicating exactly what you see in the NFL? Uh, a good one this year that I've kind of noticed is Gregory Rousseau uh, on the Buffalo Bills. I think the Bills have just literally, they, they needed help on the defensive line so bad. They got Gregory Rousseau and they said, listen, I, my biggest issue with Gregory Rousseau last year was the fact that he didn't use a lot of technique to win. And he, you could tell that he is working on his technique and he's getting better. But at the end of the day, Gregory Rousseau is just like, I got such long arms. I'm such a big, strong 
just dominant guy, I'm going to go out and just beat you just purely by strength and speed. And, and you know, the Bills are like, okay, we're just going to throw you out there, just throw you on whatever part of the line you want to be on, whether it's the interior, the edge, whatever you want, and just go do your thing. And that's exactly what he's done. That's exactly what Miami did with him, and it's worked out perfectly. Uh, it's, that's another great example. I think Bruce, so he's, an, he's another guy that I think is – is just in a, in a system where they're just like, go do your thing because you're that dominant whenever you're able to go do your thing. And I think it's really cool. Uh, another one, you know, Jamar Chase, I would say, I think it's another pretty obvious pick. The, the Bengals have practically, practically just made the LSU offense. Uh, and so Chase is already having his exact same role in college. And, you know, you kind of say the same about Waddle and Tua, who have been kind of in the same boat, uh, Dante Smith and, and Jalen Hurts. Like, you know, whenever they have the same – to do well, they're going to implement parts of the college's offense into the into the team. It's going to make some similarities kind of show up and it end up happening. And and that's why I kind of thought that's why that's what I've kind of seen so far from 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 guys like that. But yeah, I, I think Rousseau is probably my, my best answer because it's another player that's exactly what I scouted. It's it's the exact same thing in the NFL, and it's it's hard to do that. Let me say it's hard to do that because NFL is such a, a big change in talent. You know, it's going from you know, college players who might be graduating with business degrees to, you know, guys who are Derrick Henry sized all the time. You know, that's, that's, that's a very, very tough challenge. <laughs> no, to that's unfair. And, nobody is Derrick Henry sized. No, nobody can do what Derrick Henry does where he has the fastest sprint time of anyone in the NFL on that touchdown run while also being six foot six, 250 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, no, okay. Maybe Derrick Henry was a, was a poor example, but, you know, it just, Derrick I think Derrick Henry's sized. Yeah to be fair but yeah no i would say they're, they're obviously a lot bigger they're obviously a lot better than the college ranks it's harder for teams and players to keep up like that and give credit to guys like trayvon Diggs as well as gregory Rousseau. they have done it so far jamar chase as well they've done the they've done exactly what we thought they would do in the nfl and they have panned out perfectly so going over to the joe you reminded me of the lsu offense which reminded me of joe brady which reminded me that lsu fired their coach this week so what uh, what is the uh, the game plan if you're uh, if you're dabo swinney and you want to switch over or if you're james franklin and you're like wow i i'm james franklin and somehow i get to pick between the lsu and usc jobs i didn't think that was going to be a real thing that happened <laughs> yeah because it was going to be hard for them to, to fire Ed Orgeron just because of how, how he has been with the uh, – how he's been there so long with LSU. And, it, it, you know, just it, just a – you know, overall, he's just a LSU tiger just in general. And that, that's the kind of the difficult part when whenever you look at him. But uh, I, I definitely think – I definitely think it was a move that was necessary to be made. Uh, and I think that now that you're able to, you know, have him go away, I think this can really help recruiting because I think it was pretty obvious that the recruiting had kind of taken a step back the last couple of years after Joe Brady left. Uh, he had a lot of guys that were transferring, were leaving, were uncommitting, and it was decommitting, excuse me. Um, it was it was definitely a worry, and it kind of felt like LSU was starting to fall apart as a, as a team. And I think it's always been kind of known that Ed Orgeron was never an X's and O's guy. I think he was just mainly a recruiter and a guy that just brought heart and soul to the team. And you love that for a coach. I think it's great. And it's certain, 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 excuse me, certainly works out for certain guys like Mark Stoops, for example, who's done that perfectly for Kentucky. But um, for LSU and Ed Orgeron, that's just not enough. You need better guys when it comes to be, being able to have X's and O's, being able to be a constant great recruiter. And I just think that he didn't meet those standards at the end of the day, the last couple of seasons, and he needed to be fired because of that. And now that he has been fired, I think 
you know, I, I would love to see Devil Sweeney go there. I think that would be that'd be insane. I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be really cool. They're um, going to try but, though. They're going to they're going to throw money at him, and he's going to say no. But that he's they're going to try. Yeah, I just I don't know if LSU's going to be able to pull him away from Clemson. Clemson is just going to be like, I will just double whatever you ask because <laughs> he's just been so good for them forever. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe he does. But I, I certainly think uh, you look at a guy like James Franklin, who I think can bring a new. I guess, regime to this squad uh, and, and let them uh, have a new way of recruiting, possibly just a new entire, uh, you know, pretty much football team in general. I, I would like to see that. I would like to see a new, a new LSU Tigers. Uh, I like the one that they had and obviously worked great with a Joe Burrow year, but you know, that's not, that's never going to come back with Ed Orgeron as a head coach without Joe Brady. And so you need to find, you need to find a new regime. And I think uh, that could possibly get, be a good signing if they were to go out and look for him. Yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to replicate that. Has, has there ever been a team as good as that LSU team? Like now two years removed from it. Like we were doing podcasts when LSU was going on, and I don't think even we really looked at LSU that way. But now like years removed, it feels like there's not a team that was ever as good as LSU, at least as long as I remember. Like I think back to maybe – that Cam Newton Auburn team. But like, other than that, I can't think of a team that was that dominant in college football as that LSU team. Well, uh, to be quite honest, I think you could probably look at last year's Alabama team and, and give them a good argument, but offensively, no, I, I think this is probably, LSU's offense was the best in, in college football history. I think, I, I think it's, it's really hard to argue against that. Um, they were just so dominant. Joe Burrow was, insane jamar chase justin jefferson insane and you're seeing these guys in the nfl be the exact same players they are absolutely dominant doing the exact same thing in the nfl all of them have been great players uh you had clyde edwards Lair, who was a very good running back uh you had a great offensive line to help protect joe burrow you had um just so many weapons all around that were just so good i mean all those guys i mean what was it like i think nine of the 11 starters in the lsu uh, offense are in the nfl right now is mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy to see that how that how it's all panned out for him. And even then, you look at defense, you know, they weren't as great. They had Patrick Queen, who was pretty good. They had, um, you know, uh, Kerry Vincent. I remember at corner, who was pretty solid. They had a, a lot of different um, uh, cornerbacks. Uh, of course, Derek Stingley was there. Christian Fulton, I believe, was there that year. Uh, you know, they, they had a Grant lot Delpit, of really – Grant Delpit, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think Delpit was one year removed. Ah. I want to say maybe – maybe not. You know, you might be right. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe I'm thinking too far ahead, but uh, maybe yeah, you might be right. My fault. But um, I, I think you know they, they they had talent. They had talent there in general, and that was uh, it was a uh, really 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 cool to see how well they all performed together as a group. I think the defense was definitely not the best. I think they were good, but they definitely had had moments where they you know allowed plenty of touchdowns. It just really felt like that no one was stopping Joe Burrow in that offense, and that kind of really separated them from every other NFL team. So best offense, yes. Best defense, no. Best team overall. You could argue it maybe it'd be, it'd be a tough conversation. I think that, like I said, 2020 Alabama's team was really, really good all around offensively and defensively. Um, uh, I really thought, you know, that the Cam Newton Auburn team, of course, was really dominant and really good. I think you look at a lot of those AJ McCarron Alabama teams who were just insanely stacked in general were all really good as well. Um, there's a couple of arguments to be made for other teams, but I don't know. It, it's certainly possible that they are, are, are possibly better. Yeah. And there's a few weird ones in there. I would say those two weeks of Lamar Jackson on Louisville too. That might be the greatest college team ever was just those magical, like three weeks right until they lost to Clemson. That's, that's one of my bets in there too. Uh, If so, here's a fun game here. 
in the last three seasons, do you know how many SEC teams have changed their head coach in the last three seasons? So going back to the end of 2018, how many SEC teams have changed coaches? Okay, hold on. I gotta I, again. This is this is something I just gotta go through and think of. So, Vanderbilt has, Missouri has, uh, Tennessee has. I think Tennessee um, has twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely have. Uh, I think. Who else? Um, I'm blanking real quick. I know Kentucky hasn't. I know Georgia hasn't. Did Florida? Did Florida change coaches three years ago or Dan that... Mullen? Yeah, was that three years ago? I think it counts. counts. I think it okay. counts for this. Okay, okay. So it was either 17 okay. or 18, but I'm just counting Dan Mullen in this. Okay. So I think every team aside from Georgia, Texas AM, Alabama, and Kentucky. That is correct. LSU, guess... Nope. Yeah, 10 okay, different so. teams. 10 yeah. of the 14 teams have changed coaches in the last three years. Wow. It's crazy. Kentucky's a part of that group. <laughs> yeah, no, insane. Kentucky. Kentucky is the second longest guy because if you keep going back, I think it's Jimbo, then Kirby, then Mark Stoops, then Nick Saban. Like they have the longest tenured coach, non-Nick Saban category. <laughs> it is just hilarious how that's the case. But I mean, honestly, like for Kentucky, it works because that's all I really needed for my coach was to be like that. Yeah, Kentucky's playing a different game, I guess, than everyone else in the SEC. Everyone else is like, we need to be cutthroat. We have the financial investments. We're going to put it towards being great at football. Kentucky's like, we're going to be really good at basketball, but we're just going to have this fun football team that wins nine games every now and then. <laughs> you can't complain with that. That's always fun, you know, to have a, a pretty yeah, solid football playing, team out there. Yeah, 15th the ranked team in the nation, the, you can't complain about that. SEC is the minor league conference that Texas and Oklahoma and Clemson are desperately trying to get into. And then Kentucky's just over here like, hey, we're just going to chill out. We don't really care about football that much. But every now and then we're going to pound LSU by 25 points at home. <laughs> yeah, it makes you money. It gives you money to put into more basketball. So. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go beat Missouri and then use that money to go recruit five-star basketball players. I, 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 it works for me because I'm a diehard Kentucky basketball fan, so I'm not complaining one bit. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a fun team. You know, you guys are going to play in your second Citrus Bowl in four years. That's a huge victory for Kentucky. They haven't played in Citrus Bowls ever. So how about that? Good, good on the Wildcats for making something out of nothing in that program as their basketball team starts to fall apart. Hey, if they're, you know, if they're going to be, they're going to be favored to win every other game this season, I think. Now, whether they do or not, they're certainly going to be prone to upsets and everything like that. And I think that this game this Saturday against Mississippi State could certainly be an upset since uh, that Mississippi State. But if they go 11 and one, ranked 15 in the nation, you know, they're going to be a top 10 team. That, that's, that's insane for Kentucky. That is but crazy. is that good the- enough to make a New Year's Six bowl game? That is the question. They would see, they were ranked, I think, 13th the year they made the first interest bowl so it would be close it would be really close but you know i, I think third best team in the sec if that's the case it's gonna be hard not to i don't well, know let's go Can through you... the standings real quick and try and match up bowl games so i think the two this year are the i think it's the the uh orange bowl and the um forgot what the other it's the orange bowl sugar? and the huh sugar no, I think 
where was where did they play? No, the Cotton Bowl, the Co- right? Cotton Bowl, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. God, the Sugar Bowl and Rose Bowl were last year, but they couldn't play the Rose Bowl at the Rose Bowl. They like played it at Jerry World for some reason. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah, I think it's got to be Cotton Bowl uh, playoffs, college football this year. Uh, yeah, it. I think it is. Orange Bowl. Oh, the national championships in Miami too. Uh, yeah, I think this year is those two. So after that, you would have, let's say, Alabama, Georgia, Cincinnati, <laughs> Cincinnati. Regardless, they'll be in a New Year's Six bowl game. Uh, Ohio State. Anyone from the ACC? Does anyone get a New Year's Six bowl game in the ACC? Maybe Wake Forest. <laughs> Oh no. Oh God. Oh no. Could you imagine <laughs> that conference is that they're going to fire everyone. They're going to like half the coaches are going to get fired. If wake forest ends up making a new year's six bowl game, like it's going to be a bloodbath in the ACC. If you let wake forest, make it to the wake forest playing in what the, the fiesta bowl or whatever, like that's going to be a <laughs> bloodbath in that conference. Yeah, it will be ugly. I want to see how that works out. Yeah, you want to but, see I mean, Pitt? You want to see Pitt play in the Peach Bowl this year? Is that going to be fun for anyone at all? <laughs> hey, Pitt looks good. Can he, can he pick it? Let me say, can he pick it? I like that quarterback. He looks really, really fun. Name so, a second go, player on Pitt. Can he pick it? You know the quarterback. That is the only guy I've ever seen play on Pittsburgh. I'm not going to lie. I just watched Kenny Pickett play, and everyone else is just there. There's no shame there. I picked Iowa to beat Penn State. I couldn't name a single player on Iowa, and I was right. (laughs) Yeah. Still can't name a single player on Iowa. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, you know a few more, but, uh, yeah, no, I don't really know many from Pittsburgh. I I just can't. I just was impressed with how well Kenny Pickett's been playing. I thought he was definitely a a Heisman contender after this season. So, uh, you know. Maybe if he's able to, I don't know how old he is. He might be a he might be a junior right now. Uh, so if he's able to stay an extra year, he's legit. But man, it's sad that Wake Forest is the best we've got right now. <laughs> okay, but we don't have to worry about that. So we got five. We throw in Ohio State, Michigan. Does Michigan get a New Year's Six game with one or two losses? If they go undefeated, for sure. Now, well, if they go undefeated, yeah. they'll make the playoff. But I'm I just assuming they're not going to go undefeated because it's Michigan. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right uh probably I, I would say certainly a possibility they have a chance okay so michigan oklahoma uh so that's seven who else do we throw in there does michigan state michigan get a state? new six yeah Mich- i guess michigan I, state it's either michigan state or penn state one of those two the other one might be... if... hmm? sorry go ahead. i was I gonna say the, the other go. one might be who you play in the the citrus bowl yeah, but if Michigan and Michigan State were to lose, Kentucky will be put ahead of them rankings-wise. So they certainly have a possibility of getting in over one of those teams. But, That's yes, I, I think I think Michigan and Michigan State have a shot. I think Coastal Carolina has a, a possible shot. I think not if Cincinnati gets in. It, not if Cincinnati goes undefeated because they'll only put one new, one um, group of five team in the New Year's Six games. You think so? I mean, they're ranked – they're ranked 14 right now, and they don't really have a tough schedule. So if, if Michigan, Michigan State, a couple of the other teams lose, they might be in the top 10 by the end of the season. I think it's just a principal thing. I think it's just they're only going to put one group of five team in to the New Year's Six Bowl games. I th- I, it sucks to be coastal, but I think that's just going to be a principal move on the part of the college football playoff. 
I would like to see like Coastal Plague Notre Dame or someone like that. Oh, I forgot about Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame's got to be Notre Dame's got to be in there. Uh, Maybe actually, maybe not. Maybe Notre Dame loses another game and it's over for them. Oklahoma State. Oh, I forgot about Gundy. Damn, they're still undefeated, aren't they? Yep. They're not going to go undefeated, right? They're going to lose to Oklahoma at the end of the season, right? They gotta. They're not going to go. Are they? They Oklahoma Oklahoma State exists to win every game except the ones that actually matter. That's what Oklahoma State's <laughs> program has been my entire life. They win like eight games and then lose all of the important ones. Uh, they'll just, probably lose. To, don't. They'll probably lose to Baylor. I'm going to say that they'll probably lose to Baylor they, at some point. They they might. Baylor looks good too. And if we're talking about like another t- possible uh, New Year's Six Bowl team, Baylor might be in that conversation. Uh, as well, because they look legit. But didn't Baylor you know, lose some embarrassing game earlier in the year? I forgot now. Oh no, they already played Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State already beat Baylor. Oh, okay, never mind then. Who? Oh, Baylor plays Texas in a couple weeks. That could be a loss. Be yeah, Baylor's gonna like find a way to lose to like Kansas State or something like that. But yeah, Baylor's been pretty good this year. Shout out Dave Aranda. Made a good made a good job jumping ship at LSU. Yeah, but uh, I think. You know, right, right now. Oh, I forgot about Oregon too. We got to get Oregon. Oregon's in there. definitely, yeah. Oregon's definitely there. Right now, there are a lot of both Big Twelve and ACC teams. Not ACC, excuse me. Um, um, Big Ten and Big Twelve teams who just haven't played each other yet. Like you look at like Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. Um, you know, Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, all these teams, Oklahoma. They, they just haven't played each other at all yet. And so until they do, you know, they're, they're going to be high in the rankings, of course. And I'm just waiting for that moment where they, they you know, start playing each other. And if, if it falls correctly for, for Kentucky and Coastal, that's going to be like eight and nine for those two teams. And, like, it's kind of crazy to think that. But, you know, the hardest games both those teams have had are, are past them. So as long as they handle business against the other teams. Now, Kentucky has some tough games. They have um, – Tennessee, they have Louisville, they have uh, Mississippi State, but I mean, those are games I think Kentucky's all, all going to be favored to win in a certain extent. So as long as they're able to handle business against those teams, I think, you know, you're, you're looking at a team that has a resume of a top 10 team, especially if their only loss is to number one Georgia, you know? Uh, I have made my conclusion on what's going to happen for Kentucky. No matter what bowl game they play in, no matter whether it's the Outback Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Peach Bowl, no matter what bowl game Kentucky plays in, they're going to play Iowa. That's my conclusion. They're going to play Iowa no matter what. I will write it in stone and save that prediction for two months. They will play Iowa in a bowl game this year. I saw a lot of Oklahoma predictions. Uh, now I would like to see that. I think it'd be fun. Um, that would have to be in good- like the... That would ha- I'm trying to think like where AC or Big 12 would play them. I think that would have to be like the Cheez-It Bowl would be the only way that could happen. I think AC or uh, what is it? SEC versus big 12 just doesn't happen very often at the top. Yeah. Maybe not. I think it's a good point. I saw a couple of predictions for uh, Oklahoma. So that's why I said it, but maybe, uh, maybe a uh, ACC team. Um, I'm not too sure. Oh God. Wake uh, Forest. Oh no. Wake Forest, Kentucky. That'd be fun. <laughs> Clemson, Kentucky. How about that? How about you match up against Dabo? Hey, l- let me, let me beat Clemson while they're down. I'll take that. 
that would be a program builder. I mean, I think that's how Dabo got his start at Clemson was like they beat the living snot out of some team in a bowl game. And then that kind of like propelled them to their dynasty. But I mean, like. Rank rank 15 in the nation. Like, let's just picture this. There's how many games left in the season right now? Like, like six, six. Yeah. Six games left in this season. All right. How many of those top? How many of those top fourteen teams ahead of them are gonna are, are you are gonna lose these next? Well, six games? I would say lose a game enough to drop below Kentucky because, like, if Oklahoma State loses to Oklahoma, they probably don't drop below Kentucky. So you think so? Yeah, probably not. Sorry, I, but, I think but, even you guys might get screwed once they do the actual college football playoff ranking. Like, you guys might end up like seventeen or something in the first ranking, even though it says like you're eleven in the AP poll. Like, you guys might 15. get screwed on that front. Yeah, we're 15 in the AP poll, but it's certainly a possibility. It's certainly true. But, I mean, the, the one problem that we have, we have, one problem Kentucky has is the really, really close game to the uh, the, the bad, uh, I even forgot their names. Um, Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, like, if, if people actually go back and watch that game, it was, like, all bench players. Like, Kentucky didn't have their starters even really playing that game. They were trying to stay healthy to play next week. So, I mean, I, I really think it's Missouri. So I really didn't even think like that game said a lot, but that, that might, that might affect them poll wise. But I mean, if you, they, if you guys go 11 and one, you're going to make a new year's six game. If I'm looking at yeah. this now, if you guys go 11 and one, you're going to make a new year's six bowl game. We're, we're going to have the best quality loss in any of the college football, you know, uh, any of the college football teams. And if, if you were in the SEC loss, West, you would be complaining that you deserve to be in the playoff. Probably, maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah, no, I, I know. I'm just making a Texas A&M joke or an Auburn joke that those teams always complain they deserve to be in because their only loss was to Alabama or some shit like that. Yeah, that might be. Yeah, that might be a little generous. I don't know, but uh, I, I think um, I think if you you know I'm, I'm watching these games like SMU Cincinnati. Uh, I'm watching like the Coastal Carolina games, and even then I think Kentucky will probably pass Coastal Carolina if they're able to. Uh, you know, uh, you know, um, if they're able to handle business against the rest of these teams, but I think like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, like those teams are, are you know, they they can lose. Uh, Iowa can lose again. I could see a team like, I don't know, you know, Georgia plays Alabama, of course. If Alabama is able to lose another game, you know, how well is the two lost Alabama team going to be in the rankings? I don't know. Um, well, if they lose in the conference, cha- or if yeah, if they lose in the SEC championship, I think uh, Alabama is probably going to get left out of the playoff. Like with those yeah. two losses, I think they're still going to get left out. Exactly. So I, I'm interested to see like how those teams would be ranked uh, rankings wise by the end of the season uh, when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, this is going to be a weird time in the next couple weeks. So you uh i think you went four and one in the picks last week so you are now a half game back of first place remarkably we were all like three and a half games back and then you just gained three games on our boy dsd this week so yeah you are above 500 now you're 16 and 14 dsd's 16 13 one and then myself and walter 15 and 15 so everyone's above 500 right or everyone's at 500 um with my amazing picks so far this year that have gone Two and three, three and two, two and three, three and two, two and three, three and two. So far this wow. season. That, that's impressive. So you got to figure out a way to try to break that streak. Or I'm fine with that. I, as long as I go above 500, I'm happy. I just need one really good week at some point here and I'm okay. 
I, yeah. I was really happy with how this week fell off, uh, you know, end up going. I, I went, I think, 11 and three total my pickums uh, nice. this week as well. So, yeah, I, I had a pretty good week this week in, in, in my predictions. And I think this week might be a little challenging because there's a lot of injuries going on around the league that I'm, I'm a little worried about. So I really don't know who's going to be like fully healthy in these games. And that's going to be a big question mark for a few of these. Yeah, I'm going back. You had uh, you had the Seahawks covering. You had Vikings. They ended up winning that magical game where the Panthers almost came back. Uh, Chargers, that was an L. Cowboys, magical comeback at the end. And then Green Bay Packers, W against the Bears. So yeah, four and one. Well played on your part. Uh, now you can you can jump from being four four games back to in first place in a matter of like three weeks because of course that's how this thing works. Um, where do we start jets and Patriots? The jets are, or sorry, Patriots are a touchdown favorite at home. Ooh, um, yeah, these are both teams that I really don't know who to trust at all right now. Uh, Matt Jones still looks like the best quarterback in the league uh, rookie quarterback in the league, not quarterback. I mean, let me be careful. <laughs> best rookie quarterback in the league so far this year. Zach Wilson looks better. Um, I don't know how much I can still trust the Jets, though. Uh, I can see this being a pretty close game. I don't know if a touchdown is enough, though. Or is 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 what I'm thinking. I, I'll take the Patriots to cover. I can see this being like a 10-point game. Uh, but I think I think the Jets can keep it respectable in a certain way. I think I think it could be a pretty close game. Um, but you know, I just don't, I just don't know how I can trust the Jets offensively at all right now. So I'll take the Patriots. Falcons and Dolphins. Falcons are two and a half point favorites. This is an ugly game. I know. I usually don't Uh, give Falcons games, but we're really limited on choices this week. So there's like six buys. Yeah. And I don't blame you. Um, you said Falcons are two and a half point favorites. Yep. You made the Dolphins to cover and win this game. They need a bounce back. Uh, you know, they, they lost to Jacksonville in London. That was a pretty heartbreaking game, a big, a, a big uh, I think, step back in what we saw from the Dolphins. But this is still a Dolphins team that, you know, if you remember last year was one of the better teams in, that did not – was probably the best team that didn't make the playoffs last year, you know, and they, they really didn't lose a lot at all. This is still a team that's certainly solid, and I think that they have um, – now that two is able to come back and be healthy and have the week under his belt, he can bounce back and hopefully be good this week. Falcons still have a really, really bad defense. They still have a very questionable offense. We still don't know how well Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage are going to be when they come back. Um, I will take the Dolphins to win this game and cover. I think that they are going to bounce back and win this week. Eagles and Raiders. Raiders are three-point favorites at home. That's another tough game, man. Um, both these teams, I, I kind of look at these teams similarly, like talent-wise right now, despite them being like on the offside of the spectrum. I think one's two and four, one's four and two. Uh, I don't really think the Raiders are insanely legit, and I don't think the, the, the Eagles are either. But I think – you see the Ra- Raiders are at home? Yep. And they're three-point favorites. So That is correct. Basically, basically an even spread for Vegas, assuming they were a home team. So I think it's pretty accurate. I think the home crowd could be end up playing them – uh, an extra favor in this game. Um, and I, I still think Derek Carr is still rolling. And I, and I want to see if they can finally get a run game going with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. Hopefully they can get something going there. Um, this Eagles defense is solid, but still not anything too great. And I, I still have a lot of questions about their offensive scheme right now, not being able to run the ball at all. 
just being a pure passing team. I think the Raiders defensive line can certainly play uh, a big part in this game with Max Crosby having an unreal season. I want to see if they can be able to disrupt Jalen Hurts in this offense. Uh, I will take the Raiders to cover and win this game. All righty. I have Raiders going to five and two in your book, which is a bold strategy. We'll see how that works out. Uh, <laughs> Saints and Seahawks. Saints are four and a half point favorites. Yeah, I'm taking the Saints to cover here as well. Uh, just I, I, the Steelers team, you know, they're not they're not slouches, but they're also not legit. Uh, and and I really think I really think Geno Smith is just not. I mean, uh, he's of course he's a backup quarterback for a reason, but he's just not gonna he's not gonna be enough to win them this game against the Saints. I think that they still have a solid roster and they can keep respectable, but I just think the Saints will be too much here. Saints have an entire bye week to prepare for this game. Like it's, I think it's a big factor. They're able to have all their guys, you know, rest up and be healthy for this game. Um, you know, of course, the Seahawks, on the other hand, are on a short week playing on Monday Night Football, or excuse me, Sunday Night Football. I guess somewhat of a short week, and it's still kind of the same days, but, you know, play a little bit later than other teams, uh, and they're dealing with a lot more injuries right now. Uh, so I, I will take the Saints to win a cover. Geno Smith has somehow played three consecutive primetime games. It's quite disappointing. I don't know Sounding. how we let that happen. Yeah, and, and he's still – I think two of those three times, he nearly led off insane comebacks, which would have been hilarious if those happened, but they ended up not. That's just the story of Geno Smith, just almost there, not enough. <laughs> was he ever almost there? I guess he – In college he was. In college he was. I think oh, was yeah, I forgot about those Geno Smith West Virginia teams. Everyone thought that was going to revolutionize college football. Forgot about that. Yeah. Forgot about that. I mean, everyone thought that he would have been a great player in the, in the NFL, and he kind of – it's never really panned out um, as well as everyone thought. So just kind of cutting it short at the end, you know? Finally, we have Cardinals Texans. Cardinals are 17 oh. and a half point favorites. Golly. <laughs> oh my God. Ew. Um, <laughs> Would you like the other one that's plus yeah, that's I, double I guess... digit touchdowns? Cause the lions are 15 point underdogs against the Rams. <laughs> Yeah, both those games are just ugly. Um, or we could throw out Bucks. We'll They're twelve game. point favorites against the Bears because there's so many gigantic blowouts all in the afternoon window. Those are the those are the three games in the afternoon next week. It's Lions, Rams, Bears, Bucks, and Texans, Cardinals. Those are the three games they gave us in the afternoon this week. Wow, that is the like three most obvious one you can ever put together in a stretch of a season. <laughs> and then also hilarious. Vegas, then Vegas and the Eagles, which I'm when Vegas and Eagles is your best game of the week, it's not a great week. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm just glad you didn't you didn't give me Bengals, uh, Ravens. Let me just say that, but I'll take the Cardinals to cover. I just you know it's it's Davis Davis Mills has just not been good and the Texans are just not very good I still don't know how they ended up blowing out the Jaguars as much as they did week one that still confuses me Tara um, Taylor still was... technically has the second highest QBR in the NFL because of those one and a half games where they outscored their opponents by 14 points yeah that is that is just wild to me but um yeah I mean this is just a team that's not going to keep up with the Cardinals this could probably be a 28 point victory for the Cardinals possibly. So I'll, I'll take Arizona to win the cover. Looks like the Braves might be about to go up three, one on the Dodgers. And that's just a wow. dangerous game to be playing. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. But, uh, it's still a great win for the Dodgers for the Do- or, me, Braves. Uh, who would have thought that they would have been the, the best team out of the, uh, the NL this year. Um, 
even without Ronald Acuna, that's just really impressive. If they had Acuna still, that, that would have been a, a very, very good team. They might have they might have already won this series if they had Acuna. Yeah, but Jock Peterson's hitting better in the playoffs than Ronald Acuna did in the entire regular season, which is just a stupid stat. <laughs> it's just ridiculous <laughs> how baseball works. Well, when, whenever your best player goes down, you have to find someone to step up. And Jock Peterson has done that to a T. I'm very impressed with how he's been performing. He, there's always just certain players. That I can always think of Max Muntz just being insane in the playoffs that year. And they just – every team needs that Max Muntz on their team. And I think Jock Peterson's kind of been that guy for the Braves. It's also been Eddie Rosario for some reason. <laughs> I forgot he was even a Brave until like a week ago. And now he's just – he's hitting homers in game four. He's hitting walk-off singles in game two. Like it's just ridiculous how baseball works. I always thought of Eddie Rosario as like you're just – contact hitter shortstop that's just always second second in the lineup <laughs> like this is what i thought of as eddie rosario and then the game i started watching i think he hit the home he, he hit a big time on home run that game and i was like what in the world eddie rosario hitting home runs when does this ever happen that's the same way when i just hear eddie rosario i assume he's like a second baseman that's like five foot eight slap hitter and then you find out he's like six three and plays left field i'm like oh my god that is not eddie rosario what yeah. when did he start hitting home runs all of a sudden Exactly. I don't know why that ha- I don't know why that's the case. It's just there's, there's certain players you just think of as like a certain archetype of player, and then they just end up being completely different from what you think they are. It, yeah. It's so weird how that works. I, I love when that happens. Like when I hear Dansby Swanson, I think that's just a giant. Like that dude is really good at mashing baseballs. I'm like, no, he's just a speed guy. He's a shortstop. Yeah. He's really fast. I'm like, oh, didn't expect that. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, it's, a, it's a very good point. I don't know why that's the case, but that's just there's certain players out there that are just like, you, <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if that's like just us assuming that certain names or certain archetypes of players. Like whenever I think of like a a, a shortstop, I think of like a um, you know like a like a. I, I think of like Jose Iglesias, like one of those guys like that, who were just like just really, really solid contact hitters, just insane fielders. I think of like, I guess I'm just a Reds fan, so I'm thinking of like Brandon Phillips type guys and everything like that when I think of a player. So I but I like think Brandon Phillips players, is but... too good for this game. I feel like Maybe. this game is good when you just, I don't know, when you have like a Freddie Galvis or something like that. Like that yeah, feels Freddie like Galvis a, is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Galvis is a good one. Maybe uh, this is tough. I don't know. Does Willie Adamas count? Because Willie Adamas is a good hitter now, but he used to be that guy. I mean, he he, he's better though. He was a lot better this year. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's kind of better now. That's why I say he used to be in this game, but now he's kind of upgraded out of it. Stephen Drew. Stephen Drew is a great one for this game. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I I like. um, There used to be a guy that uh, played on uh, Cincinnati. I forgot his name. he was like the epitome of like a, a second shortstop kind of guy. Uh, what was it? Paul Yanish was his name. I don't know if you've ever heard of Paul Yanish in your life. No, I don't but know him, but that's he was the epitome of a shortstop or second baseman. I was just you go look him up, and for some reason, I always think of like every second baseman or shortstop as a Paul Yanish. That's my that's just my opinion on him for some reason. Even though he was literally a rotational substitute second baseman for Cincinnati. I don't know why he was just the embodiment of one of those guys. Oh, Paul Janish. Yeah. I don't know if it's Janish, but, uh, that might be how he pronounces it, but I just always called him Paul Janish for his entire career. I said it like a white guy. Uh, the most homers he ever hit in a season was five. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's that's exactly how I see second baseman shortstop. He played 111 games in 2011. He hit zero home runs. (laughs) 
Yes. That's exactly what I see. All shortstops and second basemen are just athletic freaks. Uh, they don't have they don't have the upper body strength to just bomb home runs. That's just how I see it. Those guys be. That's just my archetype for a second baseman shortstop. Paul, Paul Janish played nine years in Major League Baseball and had seven career homers. That is impressive. That is <laughs> so actually impressive. Great. That is so great. I love how that that player that still- just doesn't exist anymore. He just has such a long, sustaining career, and then just like somehow never did any, never hit any home runs. He wasn't even like that good of a hitter in general either. Like I think he was just, he was just there for his fielding. I think. But his final year in know. Baltimore, he had an 077 batting average. Yeah, yeah, he was a bad hitter. Uh, <laughs> he was just there for his fielding, and that's it. I don't know why, but yeah, he's been, he's been. Soft. I also think of Zach Kozar a lot too. I, I just think of all Reds players. I'm Zach Kozar's a good fan. one. I think of like Willie Bloomquist. That's like a shortstop that never Ooh. hit per power. Yeah. This but is a yeah. fun game. This is a fun oh, game. Yeah. See, the first baseman and third baseman are your power hitters. Left field, right field, are your power hitters. Center field's a good lead off. Second baseman and shortstop are your seven and eight hitters who are just there for to hit contact. Like, there's just no, no reason. Just, they're just there to be fielders and contact hitters. So Does Matt see. Duffy count for this game? He played Maybe. third base. This is tough because he played third base, but I don't remember him being able to hit very well. Maybe, but he could probably for second two as well. That's true. That's true. <sighs> Who's a good one? Uh, I think the Cubs have one of those guys now who like just basically plays second base but can't hit. I forgot what his name is. The Cubs have. I think it's like a Herrera, a Herrera or something like that. Yeah, a Herrera sounds like a second baseman. Yeah, man, there's this is a good game. See, guys, a, but 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 then there's guys like Javi Baez who just completely shatter any 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 dream of being the the archetype shortstop that I'm thinking of because they're just well. See, yeah, this is the thing. Power. Like Paul Janish doesn't exist anymore. You can't you can't do that while hitting like 209 for your career and not having any homers. If you're hitting 209, you have to hit at least like 20 homers. Right. Yeah. yeah so th- that, there's Javi Baez who's just the the, the insane power hitter who just you know I, he's yeah. also a very good fielder as well he's just a great player so maybe he's just not even in the category at all the only position that you cannot be good at hitting is catcher that's the only one that you can still be like 180 and fat and still stay in the major leagues yeah but but let me tell you a good catch that can hit is like probably like one of the biggest pieces that every team could ever dream of having in, the, in a league like that is such a key piece this I is don't know. I mean, the, the, been... the Phillies got JT Real Muto, and I don't feel like they're too happy with that. I feel like they're just like, yeah, this is okay. At least we have them. Oh, my yeah, God. But, someone just I took away it, a home run. I, I just think of Buster Posey and the Giants. Like, they have just been so solid for so long. Buster Posey is such a consistent. They have never worried about the catcher position in the last 12 years. Like, isn't that that's such a great thing to have? It's like – just never worry about your fielding when it comes to catching. Never worry about hitting when it comes to catching. You're you're set at catcher for the next twelve years of your of your of your, your team, and you have all these other assets to be able to look towards other positions. And I think it's why they've been so solid for so long. Well, Buster Posey's a Hall of Famer, and you guys have had the same thing. You've had Tucker Barnhart for like eight years now playing catcher. I don't think Tucker Barnhart's the greatest hitter in the world, but you guys have had him no. at catcher forever. Right, but I'm, I'm I'm saying like that's why I'm saying it has to be like a great player. It has to be like it has to be a Buster Posey type player. I think if you're able to have one of those pieces, that is great. And you know, JT Realmuto, 
uh, you know, has not been great, of course, but he also was never a really good defensive catcher. And I think he also was a mainly guy that he just hit for power. So he wasn't much a contact hitter like Posey was. It was kind of a different, different, I guess, uh, you know, archetype altogether, Real Muto at least. But, you know, uh, you, you, look at guy, you look at like the Royals catcher, uh, you know, Salvador Perez, who's just can't field at all, but still hitting 48 home runs in a season for some reason, like unreal. I don't know how that even happens. So, uh, you know, like the, the players like that, I think, are, are sneaky pieces that can be like really valuable to certain teams. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. Like, it's hard to find that guy at that position because there's just so few catchers at this point. By the way, finish off. Does Didi Gregorius count, or is Didi yes. Gregorius too good? Uh, not anymore. He was, but not anymore. Yeah, because he kind of changed his swing where now he does hit for power. But back when he was on the Diamondbacks, now that that guy was a classic. That guy was a classic yeah. player for this game. See, when, when I think of deep, you know, I don't know. When, oh, when I, I got the Gregorius, I got the winner. I got the winner for this game. I don't know how we win this game, but I think I have a winner. Jed Lowry. That's perfect. Perfect. Jed Lowry is absolutely perfect. Uh, I also think of like Scott Kingery. Like, I like that as well. Like modern, that's a modern examples. guy. If, if you didn't watch yeah. baseball in the 2000, early 2010s, you may not know who Scott Kingery is, but that's a good one. Yeah. I just think of like, I just think of guys like Jed Lowry is an absolute perfect one. He's good at what he does too. Like, he thinks exactly what, you, what I think of like an archetype of a shortstop. All right. I think we've milked this joke long enough. Thank you so much for a fantastic <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, hopefully I can uh, continue to be pretty hot in these uh, pickups for the NFL. Yes. Watch you go one and four this week. Cause we, we all are due Probably for regression. You should, you should let me bet the Ravens Bengals. I could choose the Ravens to get it wrong and be happy yeah. about it. Hedge your emotions. <laughs> That's my go-to strategy. Always hedge your emotions. Yes, I, I do. I try to. 